When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Yeah, that's exactly what we should do. Run him up and fill him in. Then why don't you? The kids don't want it. They don't skate, they don't score, they don't hit, they don't fight, they float. They don't love to win. They don't hate to lose. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gartner goes right to King Blackenville. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazito. And welcome to episode 143. We continue to stay off the island with Steve McLaren. Tonight is part two. Well, tonight, today, whenever you're listening to it, I'm recording this intro tonight, which is Sunday night. Uh, just got home from work, ate some supper, and um, just recording this intro here. So uh, so for me, it's tonight, but uh, for you, it could be at any point of the day. But first, if you're on social media, the links to my Twitter, Twitter, my Twitter, oh yes, oh, England, Twitter, the links to my Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts are in the show notes here. So you just have to click on the links and uh, and we can be instantly connected. But just like those old Apex Tech commercials, if you're in New York, you probably remember those. You have to take the first step. I can't call you. You have to call us. So most of you out there are probably like, what the fuck? But if you're around my age and you watch TV growing up in New York, you remember those commercials. So I can't reach out to you. You people have to reach out to me. Click those links and let's connect on social media. Also, if you have an art project that needs some doing, 
contact Joe Marisich, the graphics joker himself, uh, recently unveiled some San Francisco 49ers tunes. Um, Joe is the local Long Island artist who designed the logo for this very program. And Joe is available for hire, and if you need an awesome guy with awesome artistic ability to do an art project for you, please go to loudegg.com and contact Joe, or go right on Twitter and uh, hit him up at graphicsjoker.com. Joe's an awesome guy, and um, he's more than happy to help you out. And uh, I don't know many who are better. Actually, I don't know anyone who's better. So, um, yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, maybe there. I don't know if there's like a second coming of Picasso. But Joe's awesome. Reach out to him. He'll take care of you. No problem. As I mentioned earlier, I am a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team has at least one podcast dedicated to it. I am on the original content side, the Hockey Fight content side. Of course, we have uh, Terry Ryan on the uh, on board here. Um, my friend Rod Peterson and Serena, they do the Cats and Bolts podcast. They're on the original content side. Uh, Rod, the longtime voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Regina Pats. Um, and I am one of the four horsemen of the hockey fight genre of the Hockey Podcast Network. But, of course, we all have to pay homage to the OG, the old man from Saskatoon. I call him the old man. I'm actually, I think, three years older than him. But Darren of the Fourth Line Voice Podcast, Darren's latest episode, number 356, uh, pretty, pretty damn good interview with Richard Peacock. When Darren told me, that he was interviewing Richard Peacock. I said, I don't know much about him. Uh, I think I may have seen a fight or his on vi- a fight or two of his on video. Uh, but I really don't know much about him. So I was really looking forward to the interview because, um, you know, it's cool when you hear an interview with somebody that, you know, but I really went into that interview blind and I learned a lot about Richard's career. And uh, I'm not going to give away the spoiler alert, but I was not prepared for the end of that interview, I, I absolutely had no idea. And, um, yeah, I would just, uh, I would just check it out by the time you're hearing this, I'm sure episode 357 might be out, which will probably be a solo episode, which I'm very much looking forward to. But, uh, along with the, uh, 356 Richard Peacock, do your best to check out the entire back catalog of the fourth line voice podcast. And also check out the corresponding YouTube channel. I believe Darren has some pretty big ideas for uh, for this upcoming 2024, and uh, it sounds like it's going to be pretty cool tying in the show with some some videos. So uh, definitely check that out. Give Fourth Line Voice podcast a listen, and then these two young men, the Five for Fighting podcast with Alec, Tennessee Alec, uh, new uh, newly relocated to Tennessee. I think I saw pictures with uh, his wife in a truck and um, five for fighting podcast. Yeah. So last episode that Alec had put out before uh, he ended up on the lamb was with Darren. They discussed hockey fight cinema and uh, I'm hoping once Alec gets settled in, he's going to have some new episodes out. He always does a great job. And um, while you're waiting, of course you can check out his back catalog. Also, well, I usually say check out the Five for Fighting YouTube channel. I'm not quite sure if there still is one uh, because the people running the ECHL are idiots. But uh, check it out. Search for it. See if there is a Five for Fighting YouTube channel still. And uh, and give that, a, give that a look and subscribe. 
And uh, and the fourth member, the youngest of the group, uh, Jordan, five in a game. Uh, apparently, Jordan is back in eastern Canada. He works in western Canada. Uh, he's back. And um, I thought that I saw somewhere that he was interviewing. Uh, well, I don't want to say it because maybe it fell through that he had an interview scheduled. And um, I, this is a guy, again, outside of watching a few videos of him. I don't know much about him, so uh, I hope he ends up interviewing this guy or interviewed him already because I would love to uh, know more about him. So really, you, you you can run the gamut here, easy for me to say, with uh, with your hockey fight needs between myself, the Fourth Line Voice podcast, the Five for Fighting podcast, and Five in a Game. Uh, I think uh, everything you'll need is right there. So uh, today's Sunday. It's a week from the Super Bowl. Quite frankly, I cannot wait for a week from now because it's 10.36 in the East here, and I imagine at this point the game will be over. Um, obviously, the world has gone mad. I, you know that. You know it's been that way for probably about a decade now. Uh, it, it was always crazy. It's It's become crazier. Um, and what makes this world so fucking insane right now is that, of course, everything has to fall along political lines. Uh, and, and, it, and when I say this again, I, I would like to clarify that it seems like this is a small percentage of people. Obviously, the majority of society, the majority of the world is not on social media. But it's always the ones who want you to know how fucking insane they are that can't help themselves. So now, over the past couple of weeks, what I've read over and over again is if you're one of those people who is annoyed by seeing Taylor Swift ad nauseum uh, during football games, well, you're what I've come to learn is a maggot. And I guess that's what people that are extreme left people call the extreme right Trump supporter. So you're a Trump supporter if you don't like seeing Taylor Swift and you're a maggot, which I guess obviously is a is a spinoff of the MAGA hat and you add a T and you make a funny. OK, um, also. What I've learned over the past couple of weeks is if you're a male who doesn't like seeing Taylor Swift multiple times during a game, you're also threatened by powerful women. The irony with that is the graphic that I see has, I don't know, 10 women in it. None of them are, well, I shouldn't say that. There's one in there that's pretty intimidating. Uh, she has quite the reputation of eliminating problems. Uh, so if you're, well, obviously I'm sure they're big listeners, but, uh, uh, you know, H there, if, uh, hey, no problems with you. <laughs> uh, I like my life. I don't want any problems. So, yes, that one is intimidating. I will give you that one. Um, but it's just so stupid now that sometimes annoying things are just annoying things. You can find something annoying and not have to be designated into a political side. It, it's just so stupid. Personally, do I find the constant references to Taylor Swift and the multiple scenes of her in the luxury suite annoying? Yeah, 
I do. I mean, I'm not one that really cares about celebrities and, and the hero worship in this country. Oh, I guess in the world, but I can't speak for other countries. But the hero worship of celebrities in this country is just fucking bananas. So what I will say, and I, and again, I will preface this because I'm sure what I'm about to say will also make me a homophobe. But let's say Travis Kelsey was dating, uh, I don't know, Bruno Mars. And every time Travis Kelsey did something, they went to a shot of the luxury suite and Bruno, they showed Bruno Mars. I would find that just as annoying as showing Taylor Swift. But again, it has nothing to do with sexual preference. It has more to do with how I feel about the constant attentions, constant attention that celebrities get. And I'll do you one better so I have all my bases covered because I want to make sure that everyone understands where I'm coming from. If you're of a certain age, you remember the baseball player Ray Knight. He was married to a golfer, a professional golfer named Nancy Lopez. Now, I don't know if they're still married, but let's just say Nancy Lopez played golf right now. And every time Nancy Lopez made a great shot, they cut to Ray Knight. Yes, I would find that just as annoying as when they cut to Taylor Swift. So, you see, it has nothing to do with Taylor Swift. I have nothing against Taylor Swift. I, I To be honest with you, I think Taylor Swift is a great role model for young girls. I, I think she's fantastic. She keeps her nose clean. She's not, you know, listen, I don't know what she does in her spare time. But by all accounts... She's not a drug user. She's not doing this. She's not doing that. She seems, well, I'm not saying she's wholesome. I don't know. But she seems to be a very good role model for young girls. A much better role model than, say, if a young girl wanted to idolize someone like Snooky or any one of the uh, Jersey Shore gang. So I do think Taylor Swift is is a tremendous role model for young girls because, again, Adults have hero worship with celebrities, so naturally kids are going to have it that much more. And these girl, young girls worship Taylor Swift, and hey, you know what? As long as she is a positive influence on these kids, then I think that's great. I have nothing against Taylor Swift. You can substitute Taylor Swift for any other celebrity, and I'm going to find it just as annoying, even celebrities that I like. It would be just as annoying. But again, with some people that are political heavy on the left and political heavy on the right, extremists, everything has to fall into a political peg, the political peg into the political hole. And sometimes annoying things are just annoying. And that leads me to Nikita Kucherov. Sniffles, as I call them. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, I remember at the uh, Stanley Cup, uh, he did a Stanley Cup press conference after they won, and, and um, he he must have been very upset or very happy uh, because he was sniffling a lot. I, I brought that up on social media, and uh, I got yelled at by a former player, and, um, you know, that I wasn't supposed to bring that up. And um, I said, okay, I just, it was something I found interesting. Um, I watched the skills 
I won't watch the game. The game is just so stupid. Um, but the original skills, uh, you know, the, the ones that they've been doing for a long time, I find those, I still find those interesting. I mean, of course, <coughs> excuse me, I have to be uh, Grandpa Simpson and talk about how um, the hardest shots uh, don't mean anything un unless they're using lumber uh, as opposed to the graphite stuff. And, um, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, uh, but the 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 actual skill and and forget about last year in Florida that was just that those skills competitions in Florida fucking knockdown surfboards and uh, it was just so dumb. Uh, but getting back to a cold weather place for the skills competition, they went back inside and um, I, I enjoy the skills competition. I think tonight the American League had their skills competition. I recorded that. I'll check that out. Um, and listen, it's not for me. This stuff is for, for the kids. And the reason why I say that is I can't even imagine what a ticket to the skills competition or the all-star game cost in Toronto. Everything in Toronto is expensive to go to a Leafs game is, is beyond expensive. Uh, so much so that it's cheaper for, uh, Leaf fans. I remember they were saying to actually fly to Florida, fly to Miami, uh, and, even after paying for the flight and hotel and tickets, it's still cheaper than buying tickets on the secondary market for a Toronto Maple Leafs game. So um, it, it's just ludicrous. So now you have the All-Stars there. And let's say you live in Toronto uh, or, or you're, you're a Tampa fan and you have these kids that idolize Nikita Kucherov. And they watch what he did, just half-assing it. I mean, it just... And and then you get people, well, the Lightning fans, of course, the shills on Twitter are just like, oh, he's living rent-free in people's heads. I don't know about that. You can, again, you can make a comment about someone half-assing it, being lazy, not wanting to be there, etc. And it's not living rent-free in your head. I, it's, I think that's a bit of an exaggeration. Uh, my problem is, they only had a certain amount of the all-stars do the skills competition. And if he wanted to not be a participant in it, there were plenty of guys, the rest of the all-star teams were there, have someone else participate, but instead you got to dress him up in the uniform and he goes out there and he just makes a complete fool of himself. Why? There were plenty, like, listen, I, I do not like Tom Wilson. I, I used to love him. I can't stand him now. Tom Wilson was there doing an interview in a suit. Have Tom Wilson out there. You know he wasn't going to have, as much as I dislike him for uh, what he did to Lubomir Wisnowski, I I can tell you that I know Tom Wilson wouldn't have, wouldn't have half-assed it out there. And it just seems like such a waste to have this guy out there just making a fool of himself. And you could tell the other All-Stars were kind of looking at him like, you know, what the fuck? But, again, it's it's Nikita Kucherov, you know, long-term IR guy. And, um, you know, like I said, the Lightning fans think it's great. I just think, uh, you know, and then, oh, and then you get the face of ESPN Hockey writing a long post about, you know, almost like live and let live and criticizing athletes. And sometimes they're not perfect. And, and it's like, what are you talking about? What do you, It's okay to call someone on the carpet, whether they have 10 rings or two, whether they're a celebrity or not. Just if you if you do what he did, you should be criticized. Because if that was Matthew Barzell out there, I would be ripping him. I, I would be 
torching him right now for for what he for what he would have done if he did what Kucherov did. It's okay to criticize people no matter what their station in life is if it's if it's deserved. I I, I just don't understand it. The hero again, it goes back to the hero worship and how certain people will let certain people get away with stuff because of what they do for a living or or what station they're at in life or their clout or whatever. It just I mean, think about it. Um, you know, we have people in, in Hollywood, you have athletes that have done some pretty heinous things, but people still love them. You know, they, they still love them and I don't get it. I absolutely don't get it. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me, but, uh, you know, I, I've always said, I cannot root for an athlete who's a piece of shit as a person. Um, Von Miller, who is a Buffalo bill, uh, absolute piece of shit beating on his pregnant girlfriend. I could never root for Von Miller again. And I think he's a low life scumbag. And just because he plays for my favorite team, it's not, I'm not going to give him a pass. He's a piece of shit. OJ Simpson, arguably one of the greatest running backs in the history of the NFL, arguably the greatest running back to ever play for the Buffalo Bills. Well, he's a double murderer. He's a piece of shit should be dead, but there are people out there these fucking imbeciles that go to Buffalo Bills games and wear O.J. Simpson jerseys. Like, what are we doing here? Well, anyway, uh, that's my rant. Mike, I hope you like that because uh, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to rant a little bit tonight. But uh, I saw my buddy Mike last week at uh, Alumni Weekend, and he said he kind of likes these. So uh, so this one goes out to you, Mike. I know. Uh, I hope you like it. Um but yeah, but you're here. Uh, so you're here to hear from you're here, H-E-R-E, to hear, H-E-A-R, from Stone Cold Steve McLaren. That's why you tuned in here, not to listen to me. And I want to thank everybody for the feedback I received for part one. And Steve was awesome. And uh, I know, especially if you're a Flyers fan or a fan of the Phantoms, this is the part of the interview you're waiting for. Uh, and yes, Spoiler alert, we do talk about the Scott Parker fight in this interview. So uh, once again, I want to thank Steve for being awesome, giving me a ton of time. And uh, for those of you who asked me about, uh, hey, did you talk about the Parker fight? Did you talk about the Parker fight? Absolutely, we did. And after these commercial messages, I bring you part two with the man known as Stone Cold. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58 with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. 
Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. teams interested uh, reach out to your agent besides the flyers oh yeah yeah and towards the end yeah there's teams from all over the place even london england and mm-hmm. all that stuff but that was a no-brainer for me like no i still want a shot at the nhl i'm not going anywhere else i think it's silly to it's a silly thing to say it's pretty obvious you're a definitely a flyers organization type player and they bring you into camp and i think everyone has seen the highlight of the uh, the scrimmage so there's there's going after the biggest gun, and then there's going after the biggest gun. And uh, in a, that exhibition Team Teal and Team Black game, you found yourself on the ice against the biggest, maybe the biggest gun in the NHL at the time. Tell people about that. Yeah, you know what? So actually what happened is we played two halves. So it wasn't three 20-minute periods. It was just two half-hour periods for the coaches and management and everything to watch the players and see what they're about. So after the first half, I'll leave all the names out, but I got talked to in the uh, hallway, got brought out in the hallway and yelled at because I had had an opportunity to take a run at Luke Richardson. Now, this is what I talk about with me not liking to fight in training camp. But rather than run Luke Richardson through the boards and try to hurt him, I rubbed them out and took the puck and made a play with it. Like, you know, it's still about hockey. But anyways, that's not what I was brought in to do. So I had a little chat between periods and got told that, you know, you're you're here to create energy and hit guys. And so there'll be no more of that pulling up. There'll be no more walking away. No. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Second half of the scrimmage. Pretty much the same scenario shows up. Now it's a younger guy. It's not Luke Richardson. Coming around the net, he's got his head down. I'm coming the other way for check. And so I buried him. And uh, after I buried him, that's the puck goes into the corner. You see his turn and go into the corner. And then Lindros came in and elbowed me in the head because I had hit the guy behind the net. Right. Now, I just got yelled at for <laughs> not pushing stuff. Mm-hmm. So everybody in the building saw it you know, Lindros of anybody, like, elbow me in the head. So I'm like, yeah, no, I can't back away from anybody. Right. Sucks that it's you, but because, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, he's making $10 million, I'm making, you know, in the NHL 450 or something. Right. So I knew he wasn't the guy I was to be chasing after, but, I mean, he came and elbowed me in the head and then slashed me, so I slashed him back. And then, like I said, he cross-checked me in the face. Mm-hmm. 
And I was kind of like, well, are we going or aren't we? I dropped my gloves, and then, yeah, we grabbed on. He threw a couple of shots. You can see in the video I start coming back with a couple lefts, but then the refs grabbed me because I'm pretty confident I would have knocked him out too, but mm-hmm. whatever. Then he went on to say that that was my 10 seconds of fame in uh, an interview and whatnot. And I'm like, you know what? Really? Yeah, I, I wanted nothing to do with that. Right. And, you know, had I wanted to fight him <laughs> and the refs were, you know, a real game, it might have been a different scenario, but. Well, I'm glad you said that because I obviously I've seen that clip where he talks about your 10 seconds of fame. And I, it's funny how he. And I, I like Eric. I mean, I love the way he played. I'd kill us having Eric Lindros in the league right now. But he initiated the whole thing with the elbow. So what are you supposed to do? Just be like, well, it's Eric Lindros. I can't do anything. You're really just – and I had no idea. You just had the – you were just spoken to. So now it doesn't really matter who it is. But he comes over and elbows you. What are you supposed yeah. to do? And then he's in the interview going, well, it's just 10 seconds of fame. It's like, well, what What do you think he's going to do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's where he, he, that's, I, I, he, should be, he should be considered himself lucky that I didn't start bombing him. <laughs> was uh, was there any any uh, did you end up chatting with him uh, afterwards or uh, yeah, was there I mean, any talk? I, yeah, I mean, he obviously saw the highlights on the news and that too. And I mean, even then, I said like, yeah, I didn't come out here looking to chase Lindros down. Right. I mean, at that point, at that point, it would be McCarthy. Or uh, who were some of the other guys that were there? was there at the time, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it could have been any of those guys. I wouldn't have been chasing down Lindros to fight him. Right, right. Um, that just happened because, like you say, that's that's what happened. It's part of the game. So mm-hmm. Also in those scrimmages, you ended up fighting uh, Gary Kopal, I think, twice. Uh, I think it was your second and third meetup. You had fought him in junior. I think you fought him twice in those scrimmages. Is that right? Yeah. He, uh, he came out. This was the after the Lindros scrimmage and all that uh, scrummage. He he came out and he goes uh, he goes Big Mac. He goes I didn't want to do this, but Big E told me that if I saw what happened, now it's time to show my game. I was like, Yeah, no, Coop, we got to fight, we got to fight, let's do it. So we fought right then. I mean, yeah, going back the time before that when I fought Coop, yeah, I'm pretty sure I broke his nose and his cheekbone or something, but. Mm-hmm. I was in junior, and then this was the next time. So I'm sure he wasn't excited to do it, but, uh, you know, we just talked about it, said, yeah, no, let's do it then. I'll let you try to show what you can show. And we fought, and he got my head in my jersey. So we fought for a little bit, nothing, and my head popped out, threw a couple more punches, no big deal. It'd be like a, considered a draw, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then we go in the penalty box, and now I'm in the penalty box mad and starting to get real mad, like, okay, no, no, no. <laughs> These guys want to see what I can do. This is not what I can do. Like, I got to show them. So we came out of the penalty box, and I just looked at Coop and said, okay, Coop, again, like, that was yours. This one's mine. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then I brought the heat. So we fought again right then. No play started, no nothing. We just came out of the penalty box, squared off, and fought. So you you have to take – you're in this camp now, and now you're coming from Chicago and Indianapolis. Like I say, they have their young, tough players, but for the most part – their minor league team is stocked with veterans. Now you're in the you're in the American League, and you're in a locker room. Take a guy like Gary Kopal; he's trying to make the team. But then there are guys that are already under contract there that are young guys like Francis Belanger, 
Uh, and I'm not, and I'm not saying guys are, are heavyweights, but they do play physical. You have no shortage yeah. of guys. You got like Belanger, a guy like Ryan Bass, who you fought in the IHL when he was with Vegas. Yeah. Uh, Dave McIsaac. You got Bones there. You got young Jesse Bolaris. Uh, and of course, the reigning kingpin in Philadelphia, the animal Frankie Bialois. Uh, you just look around that locker room. I mean, there, there's a ton of beef right there. So, in one way, it I guess is it good that you know you're going to do the job and you're you're definitely going to have a ton of help. But on the other hand, do you look around and go, "There's sure as shit a lot of guys here that do a similar job." Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, <laughs> the Broad Street bullies for yeah. sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, Frankie was hurt. I knew he was having some knee trouble or there was a few things plaguing him. But, uh, I mean, as far as I knew, yeah, he was going to be back in the lineup regularly. But, yeah, a lot of young guys like Chicago, like I said, they they wanted to pick their guys. Or, I mean, Philadelphia, sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, the Sards, the Bullerys is the – and, I mean, Philly loved that stuff. I mean, that's why Coop came to the training camp in the first place, right? Yeah. They loved yeah. that stuff. You know, as I'm looking at the names here, I just remember, like, you know, I when when we reconnected here, and I told you where I would always, I was always someone on the visiting team I knew. When you guys had to walk past the visiting team locker room, and I'm just thinking back now, it's just every other guy that came out of your locker room was someone who could handle themselves. It was like just for other teams to come into the spectrum, and especially yeah. on, on nights where you and Frankie were healthy, because unfortunately you guys didn't play together because of his injury. But I can't even imagine, I don't even care who the, the toughest guy is on the other team, to look across that red line and see the guys dressed in the Phantoms uniform, wearing that Phantom sweater, and then seeing you, seeing 19, and then seeing 29. And again, it's so unfortunate you guys didn't play together too many games. I mean, that that's a big ask for anybody. Yeah. I mean, I we there was, I thought more when Bonvi got with the team. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, like you're saying, Frankie and I didn't play much together. I mean, all the respect, love the guy. I mean, we, we still talk Frankie and I, Yeah. Uh, but that's cause I felt like, uh, Frankie was no bullshit. You know, yeah. he, he didn't, he didn't change who he was talking to me. So yeah, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, and like I, like what I was saying was, yeah, Bonvi, I ended up playing in Philly with a lot longer. Yeah. So there was more of that. Okay. These guys got Belak and Parker. Which guy are you grabbing? Okay, yeah. these guys got Blue A and Morissette. Which guy are you grabbing? Okay, the, you know what I mean? So Frankie and I didn't do as much of that, but there was still the times where, you know, if we had to go settle somebody down and it had to happen, it would happen. Like the, But, I mean, that's where you're, you're stepping up, right? Like yeah. Frankie played with Garrett Burnett the year before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when it was time for somebody to go out to talk to Garrett Burnett, I'd go do it. Right. Because I didn't know the guy. Right. Mm-hmm. I knew Frankie. and he had no problem doing it himself either, but right. I didn't know the guy, so that's where I'd step up, you know? Right, right. We already talked about Bones. Now that you guys, you know, just like you say, you guys talk about who's going to take who. Obviously, no matter who you're sharing that role with on a team, you're going to have a connection with. But it had to be pretty cool to have a guy that you already had a connection with, although you didn't overlap in, in North Bay. You had your scrap there. You were in camp together. And I think if two guys are cut from the same cloth as you guys, how, how cool was it playing with Bones in Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean, we had, we had a lot of fun in the hockey and outside of the hockey. But, yeah, a similar guy, right? Like, I I always go back and say, okay, yeah, well, this guy's like a 6'6", six, six, a 6'9", six, a 6'8". Well, I'm six feet. Yeah. Dennis was 5'11 and three quarters, maybe not even six feet. Yeah. So, I mean, just 
it was a confidence thing seeing what he was able to do in that too, right? Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, even in junior, when I went to the training camp in junior, like, yeah, he was he was the guy that was there. He had the big chest. He was the strong guy. So, I mean, kind of one of the things I tried to pattern myself out of and are into and it is what I did, you know, get my confidence from the fact that I got more power than everybody else or, mm-hmm. you know, do something, work my way at it to get there. But In Philly, you had coaches that appreciate the job that you guys did and i think having coaches that respect the job that you do and and give you playing time i think that's so key for anyone that does the enforcer role um and i know bill barber loved you and uh, i think later on he had a, he had a part in getting you to tampa if, uh, if i'm correct but talk about uh, playing for for billy and mike stuthers and john stevens well john stevens was my defense partner at the start barber obviously you know things that made his game better he still recognized you know the broad street bullies was the the mentality for him and the stuthers and i mean stutzy played there too so i I heard he was called rubberhead at one point because the punches (laughs) had just bounced off of him so he took me aside one day and i asked him i said stutzy is there nobody you'd send me out there to fight and he goes, nope, I'd absolutely send you out there to fight everybody, and you'll come back a better man every time. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and that's got to go a long way with you guys. It's got to It's got to be huge to have coaches that have confidence wow. in you. Yeah, I, I think fighting, and whether it's boxing or MMA or hockey, or it is a lot of confidence because as soon as you start second-guessing yourself, mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to run into problems. I mean, a lot of guys started – uh, and, and you can see it on some of the fight videos and that a lot of guys started trying to tie me up to not let me hit them. Right. And that's when it got easier to hit them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're coming in trying to grab you while they're throwing right away. Yeah. Cause they're not worried about offense. They're just strictly worried about defense. Yep. So it makes it easier in a fight. And you know, I'm so glad I got to that point. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me what your impressions were when you first got to Philadelphia about the city. And the fans? Uh, fans were amazing. And I instantly wondered, what the hell am I going to do to get the fans to like me with this by Lois guy here? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Every, fan in the, or every fan in the stands had a popsicle stick with the Frank the Animal head on it. And But, uh, yeah, no, I just had to do my job, and the, I knew the fans would like me there. <laughs> he, he definitely, I tell you, and I don't think there's an argument. Anyone that was there when it, when it was happening, there was only one player, I think, that sold more jerseys and was con- more popular than Frankie, and that was Lindros. I think if you take that whole organization, the only guy yeah. more popular than him was Lindros. It was, I mean, Frankie, you know, he paid his dues, you know, and then you go to Philadelphia and he just becomes this folk hero. And, yeah. and and that's what we discussed. You and I discussed this. Yeah. I think you're the perfect guy to step in after him because while you're different personalities, it's not it's not like you're going in to, to replace Tom Brady and you have nothing in your your arsenal. You, I think you were the yeah. perfect guy, different personality, but you're going to bring it every night. And I, I, I said it, I thought you were the perfect replacement for him when they eventually uh, sent him to Chicago. Well, I, I don't know <laughs> If, if anybody's a replacement for anybody, because everybody does bring their own style, their own. Right. But I mean, about shoes to try to fill. Yeah. You know, I mean, there'd been 17,380 fans for a full year 
cheering his name. I mean, I heard things that, uh, yeah, Lindros, uh, by Lois and Leclerc was the order of the Jersey sales. Yeah. Oh, that's true. hundred percent. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, good thing for Frankie he stayed in Philly. Yeah. And you know, what was great about Frankie and I, you know, I saw it with my own eyes, like there'd be games where you knew something was going to happen and he would just go out for the warm up and just stand there. Literally just yeah. stand there and stare at the other team. Didn't care. Didn't didn't want to get a sweat on whatever. He would wet his hair. You know, do the whole thing. <laughs> flick his hair back and everything, and just look yeah. at the other team. And and like I'm getting goosebumps right now. Like thinking about it, reliving <laughs> it. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. And then you're just like, you guys go off. You go off for the after the warm up, and I'm just like, come on, let's go. Let's get out here. Let's get out here because. It was really yeah. something to see. Like, I feel so fortunate that I was able to see him play some games in Philadelphia. It was really, I mean, and I'm so happy for him because he deserved it all. Like, he deserved everything yeah. he got there. It was so, it was so great. And like you say, nobody's nobody gets replaced, but the job has to be filled by somebody. And I thought you were the perfect guy to yeah. fill it after they uh, traded him. So, you know. Hey, I, 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 I seen the same thing happening here in North Bay as the kid hockey fan. I mean, one year it was Crowder, Crowder. Mm-hmm. So it was Troy Crowder. Yeah. A couple of years later, it was Bon V, Bon V. You know what I mean? And you'd, you'd hear that. And obviously the coach. Yeah. You know, going from the Barbers, the in my case, the Burt Templeton's there in North Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'd throw that guy out there. I mean, my God, when the crowd would start canting Bon V or Crowder or even when it was the Major Brothers or. Mm-hmm. You know, you just feel the energy, and then that player, as soon as they'd step on the ice, well, oh, it would just erupt like yeah. you just scored the Stanley Cup game-winning goal. Yeah. And, oh, it was because Bonvie or Crowder or By Lois or in their respective arenas were stepping onto the ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Literally in Philly, the We Want Frank chance started as soon as, as soon as the warm-up started. They stopped after the warm-up. Then they started again when teams came out. It stopped for the anthem, and then it started right up again until they put him on the ice. Yeah. It was. It is something that everybody I wish could experience just even one time to just see how awesome it was. I hope Frankie is enjoying this love fest, but it was so fucking cool to to be there for that. That we want Frank. It's like holy, this is fucking amazing. I said he'd never yeah. let anybody down either. He'd go out and do the best he could, and that's what we all would do. So just awesome when you get the fans behind you. Yeah, and you're almost—I think as an, as an opposing player, you're almost afraid to do well in a fight against him because you know he's coming back next period. <laughs> well, yeah, you get some of those guys there that were the guys that I didn't like to fight. Now, this isn't saying Frank, but mm-hmm. you get the guys that have to get themselves crazy and yeah. crazy pumped up just to be able to go and do the fight. Yeah. And I mean, I, I I did get the nickname Stone Cold yeah. because I didn't have to do that. I was just like. All right, you want to fight? You're the other team's toughest guy. All right, let's fight. Mm-hmm. I didn't lose sleep the night before, and more often than anything, if I did, did lose sleep, it's because I had a fight and I couldn't punch. That would scare me. <laughs> yeah, really. but I never lost sleep thinking about the other team because it it didn't bother me. I always knew I had a, a, an out, you know, right. and that was my power again or whatever. It only takes one. 
that's true. Now, all right, you brought it up, so let's talk about it. The Stone Cold nickname. Now, that started in Philadelphia, correct? Yeah, when I was in Indianapolis, uh, Brad Warenka and a couple of the other veteran guys that were uh, leaning towards bodybuilding, better health care, those types of things, uh, they called me Baby Huey. So that's what's on my boat. Oh, okay. I bought my first boat there to bring home Indianapolis, and the boat is called Baby Huey. Okay. So I guess this baby was a little cartoon character that was a, <laughs> the young thing, but the big muscles, the taking on all the big men type of thing. So I was baby Huey there for the first year, and I don't know what other names, but yeah, as soon as I got to Philadelphia and had a couple of fights where I planted some guys, knocked some guys out or whatever, it was like, Who gave you ahead. the nickname? Do you remember who gave you the nickname? I, I'm pretty sure the stone cold came from Derek Settlemeyer. Okay. Uh, nasty. Yeah. Um, I actually heard him talking the other day on a podcast. I, I believe it's his nasty knuckles with, uh, Riley. What, yeah. Riley. And that is what they were talking about. Uh, it was, uh, McLaren versus by Lois. If they fought five times and they went back and forth. And then I think at the end, Cote was like, yeah, well, I, I, I think I'd go with, three to two for by Lois and uh, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, yeah, no, hey, that's legit because mm-hmm. it would have been just, yeah, punch fest. Yeah, oh, yeah. Now, I, I, I got quite a bit better left than Frank, but you also still got to miss Frankie's right hand, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell me about it. When Tell me about, uh, so does the does the team go to you and, and say they're going to play the, the Stone Cold music when you fight, or does it just happen? No, I think all that stuff just happens. Okay. Um, I mean, after I left Philly and went to Worcester, it was the Sopranos and you want to go, you want to yeah. go and all this stuff. And that's pretty exciting. though. The Stone Cold stuff was very cool. And again, following, you know, by Lois, we want Frank. I mean, then all of a sudden you drop the gloves and every, even if you're not a big wrestling fan, everybody knows Stone Cold Steve Austin. Everybody knows yeah. the entrance music. So it was like being in a wrestling crowd because people would see you drop the gloves, then you'd hear the glass break, and people would just erupt. It was it was really – Philly does it right. I will say that. Philly absolutely does it right when it comes to their tough guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to say only Philly because, I mean, dude, there, was, there wasn't an arena that I played in that when the gloves dropped – I mean, and I'm, I'm saying, like, visiting player, too. Yeah. Because they they had their home player. Yeah. But when the gloves came up, the arenas would erupt. Oh yeah, right. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So. Yeah. No, it's good, and and it, especially in the minors, I think they get it. You know, in the minors, you gotta you gotta market the well, not anymore, obviously, even junior, but uh, you market your tough players. They're the most popular guys on the team, and. I mean, Philly's a yeah. perfect example, so it's just, uh, it's great. But, uh, you know, like I said, I, I spent my time down in Philly, and I, I went to a ton of Phantoms games, and the people that, you know, the game night people there, they did it right. They did it right down in Philly for you guys, absolutely 100%. Now, did you did you see and feel the same thing that I felt there? I mean, when I was there, we were playing out of the spectrum, yep. but the other, it was built for the Flyers to play out of. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I would go to a Phantoms game, and I believe at the time it was four tickets, four hot dogs, four pops, 44 bucks. Yep. Go to a Flyers game, and if you wanted to be in the lower bowl, you were paying three to 500 bucks for one ticket. Mm-hmm. And 
it did to me seem corporate. Hundred percent. Where you go to the Phantoms game and it seemed like the you know the the blood, sweat, and tears of Philadelphia getting their families together to go watch a game like that to me was awesome. It you you pretty much nailed it. Now I was fortunate enough to go to some Flyers games when they were at the Spectrum. And even the difference in a Flyers game at the Spectrum to a Flyers game at the big arena, it's night and day. And I think you see that with a lot of these teams when they move into these bigger arenas. Um, Obviously, there was still a corporate aspect to the Flyers at the Spectrum because you still have to make money, but completely different than it it seems like once they moved, it's like every other team. Everything is corporate. The Flyer games at the Spectrum were something special. And you're 100% right because I'm the perfect example. When I was down there, I had my sons were small. They were two little kids. We couldn't afford to go to a Flyers game. And to be honest with you, we had a much better time at the Phantoms games. And it was like you say, the four, the four for four deal, we took advantage of that a bunch of times. So yeah. the, it, you're, 100, you're spot on 100% right. And well, I think most of the times for the if we went to a Flyers game, I was there to see someone on the other team. It was, well, we'll spend the money or maybe my wife and I'll just go because I know someone on the other team and maybe we ended up getting free tickets or something. But uh, for yeah. my, my money's worth, it couldn't beat a Phantoms game and way better than the Flyers games. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the way I would have felt too because there's always that chance. You don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So you... Aside from Frankie, you played with some characters on this Phantoms team. Uh, so I'm going to, I reached out to a couple of them. Well, let's start with Frankie, uh, a man of a few words, but I did ask Frankie uh, what he remembers. And uh, he just basically said, tough as hell, awesome guy that would go to bat for anybody. And I think, I think most people would say that about you, probably everybody that ever played with you. And I think it goes for Frankie too. Um, and we've, we've already talked about Frankie uh, a ton here. I think, like I said, it's the Frankie by Lois love fest here, but uh, another guy, tough defenseman, uh, diamond Dave McIsaac. Uh, so I asked Dave, Dave said two things that come to mind when he thinks of Steve McLaren, one, his truck. And uh, which I think he named thunder. It was like a monster truck. And also his fight versus Parker, which I'm sure everyone remembers. Now, before you go into anything, the Parker fight was brought up by everybody, and we're definitely going to talk about that. Uh, the truck was brought up by most of the boys, too. So why don't you tell everybody about your truck? Doggy. Sentimental value. Uh, we talked about my major junior career and how I got there. Um, so right before my father died, he got me signed with the Centennials. Then he passed away. Uh, as a family, we used to always leave North Bay heading east on Highway 17. And the first thing you see heading east on Highway 17 from North Bay is George Stockfish Ford. So it's the big Ford dealer in North Bay. And they have their pickup trucks all set off to the side but up on the hill at the time. So you could see all these four by fours sitting up on the hill. And every time we drive by, I'd be this seven, six, seven, eight year old kid going, Oh dad, look at those four by fours, like, you know, big red one, like someday. And of course my dad, like we didn't have the money at the time. The most of the money the family had went to pay for my triple A Augie. So dad was always like, Oh yeah, someday, someday. Well, that was the day when he passed away. I ended up getting $25,000 
in a insurance uh, claim or whatever mm-hmm. because he had died in a car accident. And uh, I went and bought the truck. Tell us so, about the truck. From, from Tell us why. Guy, every, why does everyone remember the truck? Yeah, well, no, I think that's why. I mean, I, I, it was what I wanted, so I still have it. I mean, yeah. everybody else goes out and buys the next new thing. Yeah. Well, I'm like, well, when I bought it new, mm-hmm. it's because that's what I wanted. Yeah. I don't all of a sudden not want it the next year. Right. So as far as the wanting, I just wanted to make it better. So I put the supercharger and the race transmission and race rear end and, you know, all that stuff. So it's built up a bit. Nice. And uh, so talk about playing with Dave, who got uh, get, got a little more notoriety uh, later in his career with the uh, Danbury Trashers. When they came into existence, he was a member of that team. So it's always good to see guys like Dave get a little more publicity. But what was it like playing with Dave? Well, like you said already, he, he was one of the characters. He was a great guy, a great team guy. I mean, he'd be the first guy to stand up in the dressing room with the butt end of his hockey stick and start singing ACDC. So <laughs> and, and loved to do it, right? And then yeah. everybody in the room loved that he was doing it too. Mm-hmm. Even though, and he knew, he didn't sound that good. We just <laughs> all, we all bought into it because it was a team thing, right? So, yeah. Uh, here again, running theme. I asked Brian Wiesenberg what he remembered, and an interesting memory. Yeah, an interesting memory of Stone Cold was when he fought Parker from Hershey. Parks caught Steve with a bomb at the start and broke his nose. He came back and beat him. In my opinion, he was just a great team guy that looked after his teammates. Lots of laughs with Steve. Came home from a road trip at three in the morning to a little snow on the ground. Stone Cold and myself went out four by four in his big jacked up Ford. I still laugh at the shit we used to do. So tell me a little bit about Wheezy. Oh, I mean, uh, you know, Wiesenberg's one of the guys that kind of grew up like I did out, mm-hmm. out in the bush, you know, four wheeler, the boat fishing, the hunting, the. So I mean, when uh, when we got together, and again now both having a little bit of ginger in us, yeah. Uh, <laughs> We made that connection too, so uh, no, got along good with Wheezy. We went out a few times, had some fun. I mean, obviously, when we were playing together, and you know, you'd 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 stuck to the guys you had the most fun with. So, always loved doing stuff with Wheeze. We'll get into some of the scraps now. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about the one that everybody remembers. But what I want to ask you about. A lot of times the Phantoms would play the uh, the exhibition games, the preseason games at the Flyer Skate Zones, those uh, the practice rinks there. And you guys played a game against uh, Albany, and uh, you fought Jacques LaRiviere. Uh, you did very well. Uh, I think you had a little bit of experience on him, and it looked like you pretty much just overwhelmed him. Uh, but after that fight, it looked like you wanted to go at somebody on the Albany bench. Do you remember that? Yeah, their whole bench. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what they were saying, but somebody – said something and you know that's it's exhibition season you're not worried about the suspension or so that was a, an opportunity to put a little fear in them so yeah, it was kind of, yeah who's next then who, who do I, who's the next guy i'm gonna pull off the freaking bench you know type of thing but yeah i, I wasn't sure you're in them yeah i just wasn't sure if anyone was chirping or anything like that but uh so before we get to the Parker fight, there was uh, the good part about your time in Philly. A lot of the games were televised, uh, and I'm only asking you about this fight because it's a guy you ended up playing with later. And I did ask him about you, and he has the best memories of every time I ask him about guys. He has the funniest shit. Uh, I don't know how this fight went, and I'm just curious. Uh, 
Terry Virtue, you fought Virtue when he was in Providence and you were with the Phantoms. A- anything memorable about that fight? I'm trying to think. I can't. The scenario. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, did he come flying in? I had, Maybe I had done something or ran somebody or something. Okay. It's a bit of a scrimmage. He came flying in and, man, I, I think on his way in, I might have turned right at the right time and threw a bomb towards him. Oh, shit. And he just, he just kind of, he missed it. Uh, I didn't land it type of thing, but I think he ended up saying something about it afterwards. <laughs> hey, wow. Yeah, I'm glad I missed that one coming in or something, but. <laughs> All right. So. Terry, a great guy, though. Yo, Played I love him. I So when I do these interviews and I send messages to people, uh, he's always got the funniest memories. He's just, he's, he's so great. I, I look forward to his, to his answers. He's always got the best answers. And I'll tell you what he said later when we get to the Worcester portion. Um, I think this is probably those guys, eh? What's that? Like Terry. I said, I played with a few of those guys. Oh man. The Johnny Stevens, the Terry virtue, the, uh, Rob, um, Rob Murray, Rob Murray, who you fought before yeah. Terry virtue this season. Rob Murray was your first fight. He was with Springfield at the time. So all yeah. the sandpaper guys. Yeah. All right. So if people were tuning in to hear one thing, this may be what they're tuning in for. Aside from the great stories, I think everybody wants to know. Um, this was back when this fight happened on the internet message boards. And, and to this day, even on the, the fight Facebook message boards, this is one of the most hotly contested, discussed fights I think in the history of the world. So the fight with Scott Parker round one. Uh, so first I'll ask, is this something in the, in the pregame who's going to go with who did you, you know, this is a kid coming in big rep from junior. How'd you end up clashing with him to begin with? Well, I mean, I always wanted to make myself look better. Uh, don't know if being in the IHL the first three years did that for me. Like, it was kind of the reckoning kind of happened when I got to the American League. Yeah. And five games into the American League is when I fight Parker. So I knew it was going to happen, uh, you know, already. Like, I, I, again, not a lot of video on these guys back then, not a lot of anything to watch. So I just knew he was the next biggest guy coming up that they were saying was a killer. So I talked to Billy about it for a second there, Billy and Stutzy, and it was, uh, it was the same thing was, yeah, okay, this is apparently a big guy, but, but, there's a guy named Rob Frid that used to fight him all the time that was just a smarter fighter and had that gave Parker lots of problems in junior, uh, from what I understood. So I was like, oh, okay. Was that his name, Rob Frid? No, he would have been Fred, a I think Frid was an OHL guy. Ferone, sorry, Paul Ferrone. Paul Ferrone, who gave everybody yeah. fits. Paul Ferrone is awesome. Yeah, so they, they, they had told me that he had given uh, Parker trouble in junior or whatever just because he was a smarter, better fighter, you know, not just toe-to-toe, whatever. So I was like, okay, well, you know, fine, that's fine. I mean, again, I, like I said, I can do that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, you know, it, it was me pushing it too. Like, he didn't ask me to fight. I, as I said, let's go, big boy, because I knew his name, you know, carried weight at that point too. Right. Uh, I think he was first rounder. He was yep. blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm just thinking, okay. No, forget it. We're going in this. It's full forward bomb, and I'm going to knock him out, and that's the end of it. Well, when we locked up and finally got the grab in, because we squared off, I squared off with everybody that would square off. I didn't want there to be a, an advantage either way. 
I mean, he already had the advantage with height, so. Um, but I was like, no, nope, yeah, we'll square it off. So we squared off, and, uh, like, you know, he, th- he throws the same bomb every time. He hits two Grimson with it, put him down. He hit just, I guess, yeah. When I fight, I've got a really, really good adrenaline. So as soon as my knees start shaking or I, you know, the other tough guys talk about all thing, then everything would just turn red. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's kind of what it was. I had an amazing scramble. So, I mean, we went wholesale bomb, both of us. Like, I threw a bomb, too. It's just mine stopped three inches short of his face right. and his his stopped three inches in to my face <laughs> uh so at that point yeah i like to say i used my nose as the crumple zone like the front of the new uh unibody cars so he was he wasn't able to knock me out <laughs> but no I, I i didn't feel a thing joe mm-hmm. uh not at all other than my eye shake like the, i didn't even know he hit me then it was just scramble to get the, to get that grab. And as soon as I got a grab on him and the scramble was kind of over, I threw a little left. And I, I, I hit him with the left just a little bit on the inside. Mm-hmm. And as soon as and I, I saw him tuck his chin in and his eyes looked downward. Mm-hmm. Well, then it was just, okay, this is all me. He ain't even looking anymore. Mm-hmm. So then I just started bringing the right hands and, you know, kept bringing the right hand until he was in a, little bit of a pileup, but again, yeah, I, I can agree with some of the fans. Not a doubt in my mind that I killed him in that fight and would have kept killing him had there not been people to stop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, after the fight, the next morning, yeah, I'm the one that woke up with the broken nose, not him. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think for him, you're probably the first guy that he hit with that type of punch that either didn't go down didn't get knocked out i mean this is a guy that pretty much mowed through juniors for the most part you know the odd guy now and then but every year in his junior as he got older he was just mowing down guys and then training camps he's doing well i mean you might be the first guy that he hit with that sledgehammer that didn't go down it's almost yeah he he busted your nose you kind of blinked and reset yourself he may have never seen that before yeah and i mean that's a possibility because for me, I, I I just had to win. Yeah. I just never wanted to get knocked out. I mean, I got knocked down once by a punch in my whole career. Lots of times, guys pushing and shoving and you'd fall or, or it would look like maybe he hit you, but he didn't. You just mm-hmm. fell because uh, a lot of power going on in those pushing and pulling events. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, one, one guy knocked me down with a punch and that was Jason smear. And that was years later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what I, I gotta ask you, you're definitely, uh, I don't know. Is it something that you can train? Like, I don't think you can train having a hard head. Uh, I don't think you can do that, but is there a, you know, style that you can use where you're, you're not getting hit on the button? Because like you said, I don't, you're bringing it up now. I don't remember seeing you go down at all in, in fights. And I, I've seen guys hit you with I mean, Parker's a classic example. He hit you with a freight train. Guys have hit yeah. you, and you, it seems like you just kind of reset yourself. And, I mean, I think Domi is the Domi is the prime example of a hard head. I don't know if you got a – well, obviously your head's not as big as his, but uh, I think you got a hard head there on you too there. I, I, did you ever do anything? Not, not to make your skull thicker, but uh, sort of like a defensive fighting strategy where guys are going to hit you, but they're not going to hit you on the button. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you try to – 
keep your chin tucked in, you know, get yeah. it tucked in your shoulder. So if you got bigger shoulders, it's easier to tuck your chin behind it. Right, right. Uh, but that's that's not always the truth. I mean, I, I fought most of my fights, I would start open mm-hmm. until I hit the other guy, and then we'd start tying up because they'd tie up. So, yeah, I don't know if there's a training to I mean, obviously, keep in shape and do all your work and out in that because you don't want to... You know, you don't want to show up into a hockey fight like one of these guys that's a 45-year-old guy that fought twice when he was in high school and now wants to go call on a hockey tough guy at a bar after a game. (laughs) You don't want to be that guy, trust me. No. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're going to force me to ask, have you ever run into that guy at a bar? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a bunch of times. It seems to happen mostly in Canada, like out on the Rock in Newfoundland. Yeah. I mean, the one game there, I, I knocked out the two tough guys, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, TKO at yeah. least. They didn't get up real quick anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, then after the game, I yeah, I got into a melee with probably four or five of their older adolescent men that were at the game type of thing and thought it was their cab when it wasn't their cab. Good old George Street? Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right on the main. Oh yeah, because the, the the police came once the melee happened. Yeah, I turned. Uh, well, I better give you a little background here then, quick. Yeah, sure. I turned to Sean O'Brien was with me, and he would fight here and there, and mm-hmm. you know, he he played bigger than he was. I mean, his waist was about twenty eight inches. But I turned to him, and we had had some drinks. You know, it was uh, we we won the game. I had, had a couple of good tilts. Anyways, I turned to him, and uh, said, "Hey." are you okay with this? Like that cab door was open for us to get in. Like these five guys that just jumped in there. That's, that's our cab. He goes, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I just told him, I said, well, here, Obi, I said, uh, hold this. I had a half of my hot dog, right? Street meat after the bar. Yeah. I still had half of it. So I said, well, here, hold my hot dog. I'm going to go deal with these guys. <laughs> so he thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, the, the yeah, the first guy poked his head out the door. I mean, it was right there. Yeah. So I tagged him. He went out, pulled the second guy out. He went out. Uh, then a bit of a melee. But then, I mean, the cops, it, they had to be waiting in the buildings because no cop cars showed up. They just, right. all of a sudden, there were cops everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they knew it was them drinking that had coerced this scenario. Mm-hmm. So when I turned back to Mr. O'Brien and said, hey, where's my hot dog? Well, he started laughing. He's like, shit, Steve, like, I threw that when the fighting started. Like, <laughs> I wasn't going to sit here and hold your hot dog. Like, I was going to get in there. Yeah. And I was like, not, but I told you to hold my hot dog. Like, I'm coming back for that. <laughs> I thought he ate it. No, he tossed it to get into the brawl. But hmm. like I said, just funny because I was fully expecting him to stand there and hold my hot dog while I dealt with these five guys. <laughs> So, so post Parker fight, you're out for a bit. How frustrating was that? Because if you have an injury on your wrist or somewhere where you can kind of feel the progress kind of feels a little better one day, you kind of have to sit there and wait for your nose to heal to a certain extent. And it has to affect your breathing. So does that affect your practice and skating wise? How how frustrating was the whole thing? Well, the the most frustrating thing was, yeah, my nose was, well, what the surgeon said, the or an orthopedic surgeon or whatever, uh, he was like, yeah, I, I fix people's noses that go through the windshield of their car once a day. 
So, I mean, he's seeing people going through the windshield of their car every day and having to fix their broken noses. Yeah. He said my broken nose was the absolute broken nose he had ever seen. It was like it was just a thousand pieces. Jesus. So, I mean, it was a good break, right? It wasn't yeah. a lot of broken noses are just a crack right. in the side of one of the nostril holes. Like, not even, mine was smashed, broken off. Um, so, at that point, yeah, I had to wait. I, I had to miss time. Like, it was reconstructive surgery. Like, they had to pack my nose and try to get all the pieces of bone back lined up to give myself, uh, you know, your mud. End up with a deviated sept, uh, septum anyway. Yeah. So the nostrils aren't straight holes now. They're all repaired. But uh, the one good thing about that is, and you can still see it to this day, is when you break a bone that bad or whatnot and you give it time to heal, it heals stronger. Yeah. Well, that's why my nose looks fatter. There's more bone <laughs> there now. It looks like an Italian nose right now, like a very distinguished Italian nose. See, you don't, you don't remember. I mm-hmm. remember. I remember afterwards. What's that? I said, or a baked potato, one well, or the other. Either one. See, I remember. I remember after the games that I would see you, and you'd come down, and you always had to have a tissue or something because it could bleed at any time. And I could kind of tell, you know, even when we would chat, even for a couple of minutes, I could kind of feel like your frustration. So that's why I had to ask you that because I could tell nobody, no player wants to go to a hockey game to watch <laughs> hockey. You want to get in there. So I could kind of feel your frustration as it went on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, again, that's that little drive like we talked about before. Okay, I missed a few games. Okay, shit, now I want to get back in there. Like, right. I'm hungry. So you finally get back. Uh, and it, oh, Well, before we get to that, let, why don't we talk about it since we talked about Parker. Tell me about the Phantoms-Hershey rivalry. Well, probably one of, when, when it was an, in existence, when the Phantoms were in existence, Philadelphia Phantoms anyway probably one of the great rivalries in sports and people that don't follow minor league sports will have no idea, but Phantoms and Bears, unbelievable rivalry. Great to watch from the stands. What was it like being a part of it? It was like being in North Bay and playing Sudbury. <laughs> no, I, honest to God, it was yeah. the exact same thing. I yeah. mean, I, I, you're talking a junior level and whatever, but closest rivalry, I mean, both in PA, both, so I mean, we take the Hershey Highway, and the game was on, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, everybody knew that. It was a living thing. Um, I mean, even when we pulled into Hershey, there'd be people outside throwing snowballs at the bus. and So, I mean, that, that's the kind of games you live for, that rivalry. And, yeah, it builds the game up, builds the fans up, builds the team up, builds the players up, gets everybody going. So, it's a great time. So, now I know when, when Hershey would come to the Spectrum, that was, those were the, I went to those games. Those were fun, but I kind of get a feeling that someone like yourself would love, like you say, talking about going into Hershey, you're not even off the bus yet. And they're throwing snowballs at you. Kind of get the feeling that you enjoy going out there for the warm up and getting yelled at by the Hershey fans. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if nobody's yelling anything at you, you're probably not doing your job right. Right. I mean, you either need people cheering for you or against you. Because mm-hmm. if people are cheering against you, well, that means you're doing something right because they're recognizing you, right? So yep. you know, live for that stuff. <laughs> so I'm looking at the fight card from this year. Uh, obviously, we'll get to some other fights against Hershey. You had a pretty good run against Kentucky that year, too. You know, you fought Jared Burnett a bunch of times. Uh, I, think, I think you fought him three times that year, maybe four. Then... 
when Bernie got hurt, they brought in Eric Bolton. You fought him that year. Uh, so Kentucky was, I don't know if they were a close second to Hershey as far as rivalries go, but they had to be your, your second biggest rival, I would think. Yeah, I mean, and that, that was a, a team thing. Like, it wasn't, when I say a team thing, I mean, you, you have to know the background. Um, Garrett Burnett had played in Philly. Yeah. The year before, right? Mm-hmm. For number 19. Yep. Um, so when we played against them, him and Dave McIsaac collided. They ended up dropping their gloves. Uh, Garrett Burnett, like a, a strong, strong dude. Like one of the fights I was fighting him, he had a hold of me by the jersey and that with his left hand. Yeah. And he just straightened his arm out and frig, my feet went up into the air. And- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like remember. A, like a strong man for sure, right? Like, yeah. like a big human, yeah. as I believe what some people called him. That but was anyway, his nickname, the big human. Yeah. Um, so there was that. But anyways, so he gave that same kind of push shove deal and try to throw a bomb to Dave McIsaac, and uh, McIsaac went down and it ended up separating his shoulder. So now you've got a guy that played in Philly as a tough guy, hurting one of the guys that's still playing in Philly and I was in as the new tough guy. So there was some, uh, some animosity there. I was like, okay, now, Oh, sorry, Gary, uh, Burnett, every time you hit the ice, I'm coming out here to fight you. So that's what happened. I mean, it went out the first time we kind of flipped around a bit. Second time, I think I broke his nose. Then the third time. Yeah. Cause the second time he went off for repairs or whatever, and then the third time, I was so frustrated with us flipping around because his balance wasn't that great. Right. He would punch himself off balance all the time, like throwing that big bomb. Yeah. Now, if it hit you, you were in trouble. But if it didn't, well, you were okay. Right. So by the third fight, I mean, he was down, flopping around on the ground, and I just tried to give him the little snow job there, drag my skate and spray some snow on him, and they... Gave me a suspension for trying to kick him. I'm like, hey, try to kick him. Yeah. But, anyway, <laughs> uh, but that for, was three. Well, for the record, for people who don't know, you ended up fighting him four times in a two-week span. And, for, you know, for people that aren't familiar, it's not like you're playing a ton of games during the week. Usually the American League, you're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So in a two-week span, you fought Bernie four times. So, uh, yeah. so I yeah. think it just speaks what you're saying, uh, you know, if there's little animosity or if your teammate gets hurt or taken advantage of, you have to go in and right the wrong. So, uh, but yeah, Cincinnati and you guys always had fun. Um, Kentucky and you guys always had some fun games too. Cincinnati as well, but Kentucky, I think the, the only more fun games you had were against Hershey. Kentucky was a close second, maybe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So now you, uh, go back to Hershey. And um, so you you fought the biggest guy they had there. So now you want to fight maybe someone that's almost as big. Uh, and I only have the highlight of this fight. Uh, I didn't see the whole thing. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, like Bernie, someone that's lo- no longer with us, Wade Belak. Uh What do you remember about your fight with Belak? Uh I think that was going to be the second fight in that game and not for me. Uh, I think Bonvi just fought Parker and it was basically a stand-up draw. They both did well. Uh, nobody had the advantage. So then I hadn't fought B-Lag yet. And from the talking back and forth, I was I was a little amped up. Mm. I was ready to do this. Like, to be all honest, I was ready to knock him out. I was a little bit upset in the fight because I did knock him out. 
that he was able to just stand there waving back and forth and the two refs got under his arms and held him. Yeah. And I started yelling at the ref. I was like, let him go. Yeah. They want to see him drop. Because he was out. There's no way, man. I, I looked at his eyes and his eyes were spinning around like pancakes. So I knew, but the refs were holding him up. So I didn't get to knock him out and put him on the ice. Mm-hmm. But he was out standing there. I ended up talking to uh, Jeff Buchanan, mm-hmm. who I played with my first year in Indy. Yep. He was on their team at that point. Yes. And, uh, he let me know after the game. He goes, yeah, Steve. He goes, uh, you dialed him up pretty hard. He sat on the end of the bench the rest of the game and just ring him. Oof. God bless the guy's soul, but yeah, yeah. Listen, I mean, it's unfortunate what happened. I mean, obviously, for those yeah, who don't know what happened, that fight. Yeah. Hey, Tyler Willis. He <laughs> uh, you brought up Tyler Willis earlier. I love watching Tyler yeah. Willis play. Yeah, and you fought him. Uh, I think it was in Worcester because the footage, yeah. grainy footage, but it looked like you know he hung in there pretty good. Yeah, I mean, those are the ones where, like I said, I wasn't worried at all. Right. Like I was talking about before with that little bit of a fight I had with Corey Eisen in junior, where I'm like, yeah, dude, you're going to do whatever you want, but at the end of the day, I've got a 100-pound chin that you're hitting with a 20-pound bag. Like, there's nothing's going to happen. I wasn't worried about him. The only thing that was hard at that point was getting him to quit fidgeting around so I could hit him. <laughs> yeah. His his fights were fun to watch. I mean, I think it was uh, – I want to say he had a fight with P.J. Stock. That was fun. I mean, it was pretty much all yeah. energy with him, and he didn't care how big the opponent was. The guy had, you know, balls of steel, really. Well, that's and that's what it is, right? It, it's the matchups of the fighters that make the fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you would be throwing me, uh, you know, against all the guys, like, again, nowadays, which is the Marasti, the Gillies, the – Man, yeah, those would have all been toe-to-toe fights until somebody went down. Yeah. Because that, that was the way I fought most uh, most times. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, but when the thought process had to get into the fight, yeah, possibly I even got better when that had to happen. So The next guy I want to ask you about, he's a guy that appears on your fight card a few times, and he's a guy that I always say like a one win-loss record for guys who do the job is not very important. This is a guy that always showed up and uh, always went toe-to-toe. His fights are very exciting, and um, he's had a really good post-playing career as a coach. Now he's an assistant coach with the Ducks. Uh, and that's Brent Thompson, who who had some time in Hartford. He had a, a two-fight game. One uh, one fight, Brent Thompson, your first fight with him, and then uh, Ryan Rizador afterwards. And the Rizador fight wasn't much, but the Brent Thompson fight was to- uh, fight was toe to toe. What do you remember about fighting Tomer? Is that uh, would that have been the first time I fought him? Yeah, because the first time he was in Hartford, and the second time he was with Louisville. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, the uh, yeah, like like you said, I mean, he was a, a tough guy. He'd stand up and hang his chin out there and just throw the first fight we had together. It was pretty good. Like, you know, like you said, toe to toe, we had a couple of touches each type of thing after that. Like, yeah, I, I, I haven't got much more to say. I mean, I yeah. knew the guy had played as a bit of a tough guy in the NHL. I think he was 121 games or something. And so, I mean, I checked him out a little bit, what was there and knew that going into it, okay, it's time to throw. As we round out your first season in Philadelphia, we round out, it's the rematch. You and uh, you and Scott Parker, and uh, this this fight starts where you actually you skate over to him, 
And uh, I'm wondering how that conversation was uh, maybe about round two, but uh, can you take me through that uh, right from before the face-off? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew the guy punched hard, right? He had already shattered my nose pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're on the ice together. I mean, it, you know, I, I don't remember the score of the game, but it was time. It was time for me to try to do something. We kind of came together. We didn't really get the square off, like the long square off type of thing. Uh, but then he pulled my head into my jersey. And that's an almost panic situation, right? Like you can't, you don't know where anything's coming from. Right. So you're kind of going, you're going on muscle memory. And at one point I lost grab from him. I had nothing to grab onto. And it was always like, oh man, my head's in my jersey. I can't see, I'm not holding on to him. I already know he throws bombs. So at that point, yeah, it was, it was a scramble until I could get a hold of him. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we threw well, he was still throwing or whatever, but I threw one or two punches after I got a hold of him, and then that was the end of the fight. Uh, my head was still in my jersey. I had to pull it out once the linesman broke it up and that, but I wasn't going to quit. I was going to keep throwing. So, Just uh, something that just popped into my head now. So we already talked about the, the Stone Cold nickname, and um, I heard, I've heard i heard guys also reference, reference you as Woody. Now, is that uh, because you resemble Woody Harrelson a lot, or is that have anything to do with Toy Story? No, no, that was the Woody Harrelson when I got to uh, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, Bill Barber figured. He, he said, Jesus, he looks like Woody Harrelson. So <laughs> started off as Woody, and then nasty there, Settlemeyer, he got in there, and oh, no, he's stone cold. Because oh, okay. <laughs> they just said the way. He goes the way this is uh, Derek Settlemeyer. He, yeah, the way he just his face doesn't change. Mm-hmm. He could be in he could he could have ten shifts. He could have one shift. He just goes out there and does it. Mm-hmm. So he is like, oh, absolutely stone cold. So well, and then it, it stuck from there on, right? So all right, yeah. Well, I mean, it's spot on, and I like I I think I mentioned it already when being at the games when you're on the ice and all of a sudden they play that music and the glass breaks. It was literally like being at a WWE event. And when that glass would break, when Austin yeah. would come out and when it would start, the fans would just go nuts. So that was, that's a pretty cool memory to have for me. Anyway, we go to your second. Yeah. I mean, no, and that's, that, that's what you want, right. It is. The, no, I was just going to say, it is a, get the crowd involved, get that extra man on the ice type of thing. Right. They always said the crowd was the seventh player. So yeah, the Phantoms. I think it makes a difference. Yeah, and by the way, for those of you listening, there's a delay here. Steve and I aren't stepping on each other's lines. There's a, there's a couple of second delay here, which I still haven't mastered yet. So I apologize to you, Steve, and I apologize to the listeners. Yeah, well, that's likely my phone out here in the bush. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully at some point I, I stop stepping on your line. So I apologize to that. So uh, for that, so. As we go to your second year, we go to your second year in Philly. So you, you, we start out with the cast of characters you play that first year. And now there's uh, a few other new guys here. So I'm going to throw out some names and uh, tell me what you remember most about them or if you have a good story about them. And uh, first and foremost would be Frankie Lassard. Matt Gush. Uh, <laughs> I say that. That's where he was from. So I'd always call him that. I'd be like, hey, Francis, Matt Gush, what are you doing? Um yeah, I mean, a, a, a tough guy wanted to, uh, wanted to show that he was tough, but you know, you gotta have a you gotta have some relationship skills too. <laughs> so I mean, he he didn't want to talk to anybody he had to fight. He wanted to think of them that he hated them or or whatever, you know, not not have anything in his brain other than he wanted to trash the guy. So 
I mean, I was a little different. I could get yeah. along with anybody, right? Yeah. I mean, Scroy bought me beer after the games there where we fought, and mm. I had no problem with it. I'm like, yeah, right on, man. Hey, I'll talk to anybody. Like, doesn't mean anything on the ice. This is off the ice. So he he did a great job of that because I know several guys who don't particularly care for him. <laughs> so, like most of the guys, you guys seem like you're a big fraternity. Everyone has the mutual respect, and um, he's one guy who pretty much the consensus is he was tough enough where he didn't have to do a lot of the, the dirty stuff across the line where he would have everyone's respect. And, uh, you know, uh, I know one guy who we both know, we'll talk about it, uh, off the air is not a very big fan of his. And, uh, but I think the consensus is just, he didn't have to do any of the, you know, over the top stuff that he did. But, uh, but if his, if his, uh, mindset was, to get people mad at him and not be friends with him, then it was definitely mission accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, I got along with him in Philly. So yeah. while we were there together, I mean, he was a younger guy. I was a little bit older at the time. So we got along pretty good. And it, uh, it was nice having him there in that he wanted to prove. So when we'd play a team where, uh, well, I'll just throw this out, like Bonby. Mm-hmm. So I, fought Bonby here in North Bay for the Centennials. We played together in Philly. Then the next year, you know, he ends up on our rival. A couple of years later, he's our rival again or whatever. So there's no problem fighting, but I want to take the next guy or whatever, right type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of nice because then you, you didn't feel like you had to fight your buddies and hurt them type of thing, but if that had to happen, it had to happen. You guys had a goalie uh, who always seemed to be in the middle of things. Uh, for those of you that only follow uh, the NHL, the Phantoms had a goalie named Neil Little who uh, seemed like he liked to he liked to get in there and scrap. He liked to get in there and bang. He, he definitely had a little Billy Smith in him. Uh, and uh, I, for one, loved watching him play. And every time there was uh, – looked like it was going to be a line brawl or something. I always would always look over to the net to see what he was doing. So uh, what was it like playing with Litz? I mean, Litz was awesome. Yeah. I mean, he was a veteran guy. He, uh, you know, he, he knew what he had to do, like as far as the goalie and that. But when games weren't going the way the team wanted them to, he felt that pressure too. Mm-hmm. So at a, in, in a scenario like that, he didn't mind trying to do something to, you know, get the crowd going, get the, well, I mean, he didn't mind. He's, I saw him the one day spinning his helmet and throw it up in the air, kick it behind his back when we were playing Grand Rapids or somebody, <laughs> something like that. Who would it have been? Uh, but he made a big show of it. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. The team loved it. Got the guys going. Um, and yeah, Litz was a, a, just a great character. Great guy. All right, now loved his dog too, so that that me. What kind of dog did he have? Pug. Oh, nice. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, it fit, fit him perfectly. Yeah, yeah, really. All right, so uh, another youngster that uh, was new to the uh, city of Philly and the Phantoms, uh, young young man by the nickname of Fridge. And uh, before I ask you your memories of fridge uh fridge was kind enough and that's todd fedoric by the way for those of you who don't know todd fedoric i had i had reached out to him asked him uh if he had any funny memories of you good memories that i could ask so he did tell me a few things i'll tell you them all at once then you can answer them one at a time uh he did say 
he said, I used to use his ID to get into bars. Then he said, um, ask him about the time he said bomb on a plane when we flew commercial with the Phantoms. And uh, then he said, also see if he remembers Bill Barber and Mike Stuthers asking you to take him under your wing to learn the fight game, to which he adds that he was a cowboy, so learning wasn't much his forte. So um, so those were the three things he mentioned. Uh, feel free to go on about any of those or all of them, please. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Fridge, Fridge had uh, had his methods pretty much when we got together in Philly, like, he, I, I think it was Dale Purrington he had played with. Yes, and and Parker. Yeah, so he had some uh, jersey grab things that he had already learned and stuff like that. So, like you say, yeah, there was no, there was no uh, about to teach him new uh, new things or whatever. Like he was said, he was a big guy. Um, I, I got to tell you something funny though. One of the, the funny things that I saw with the fridge. Is again this first year that he came to the Flyers camp. We ended up having a softball game. This is before the camp really started, just to get the guys together. And we're out on the field, and a guy hits a you know a pop flyer or whatever, and it's going foul, like you know right along the fence. And Fridge ran from the other side of the field all the way across, just rolling. <laughs> and I mean, it, it 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 ended up getting talked about for a bit as the you know. That was the fastest 250 we ever seen cut across the field. <laughs> so, Did there, you there catch it? Some things yeah, I don't remember the, uh, well, it was probably something to the effect on the plane, the bomb thing, like saying something like, oh, yeah, we were throwing bombs, and then be like, oh, geez, you can't really say bombs on a plane type of thing. So, Right, right. I'm not 100% on that one, though. Uh, and do you remember letting him borrow your ID to get into bars? Uh, I remember I talked. No, but it very well could have happened. I, I can believe that. I'm sure that stuff went on all the time with the youngsters. I know after I played a couple of games there with St. Louis, the one day I brought some of the guys, we were going for a team party and they were getting hassled at the door. And I kind of pulled out the NHL ID and said, no, no, I got them guys. Just don't worry about them. Let them in type of thing. <laughs> That's a different story anyway. So. You have a year under your belt with the Flyers organization, and not not now right away because the team is uh, – they, they moved the farm team to uh, Lehigh Valley. But at the time you were there, that situation was pretty unique in that there were no two teams that had their farm club closer together. You guys were separated by a parking lot, literally. The, the Flyers and the Phantoms literally separated by a parking lot. And that means the Flyers GM, Bobby Clark, gets to see you on a regular basis, gets to see your games, gets a scouting report straight from the horse's mouth, you know, B Bill Barber, uh, how close they are. Did you or your agent ever get to talk to Bobby Clark about about your role and if, if you had a legitimate chance to take that next step and get to the Flyers? Actually, that was something I, I had heard about. I mean, everybody knows Billy Barber. This this is in my third year with the Flyers, okay. or with the Phantoms and that. Uh, Billy Barber went up, uh, started head coach for the Flyers. Mm -hmm. And I think at one point then, uh, Todd Fedorik got hurt. Mm -hmm. And uh, Billy went to Paul Holmgren, from what I understand. And uh, it was like, Homer, should, uh, what do you think? Should we get Stevie up? We need some more meat tonight in our lineup. Todd's out. And I believe Homer, from what I understand, Homer was like, yeah, let's get that done. Mm -hmm. 
And when it got past to Bobby Clark, Bobby Clark said, nope, he's our minor league slugger. So oh. that is why I ended up leaving Philadelphia because I still wanted a shot. And, you know, they, they didn't have a spot for me there, apparently. So oh, okay. would have been great still with the fly, uh, the Phantom. Talk about a great city to play in. Oh. Uh, like you said, we were there. We shared a practice arena. Like the the equipment was top notch. I mean, they had thirty bikes or whatever upstairs, so the Flyers and the Phantoms were up there at the same time. Like it was a lot of good uh, good opportunities there. I mean, if you were an injured guy, you didn't work out by yourself. Like at one point, I had uh, twelve stitches in my one knuckle from Jody Shelley's teeth, and I got that infection. And uh, I ended up working out with Lindros and LeClaire for six weeks straight. Jeez. Because we were right, like we were right there. So it's yeah. when Johnny LeClaire had back injury and Lindros had concussion there. So Wow. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but yeah. I, I guess at the same time, with the two teams in the same place, the, the higher-up teams, so in this scenario, the Flyers, and their decisions would get called a lot more because there was more fans seeing the minor league team. Like, why haven't they called this guy up? Why haven't they done that? So yeah. I think, you know, as much as I like that both teams be in there, uh, I think it could be a problem for the NHL team just as far as PR. Yeah, maybe that's, so. well, it's, yeah, aside from the, uh, well, I was going to say maybe that's one reason why they moved the team. I guess the bigger reason is that they tore the spectrum down, but, uh, you know, you can't have the minor league team play in you know, third fiddle in an arena to the Flyers and Sixers. I, I'm sure making that schedule will be a nightmare. So, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, on the ice that year, you had a couple of fights in the preseason with a couple of veteran NHL guys. You fought Darren Langdon uh, that year with the Rangers and uh, a guy who was a very much a veteran at that point, David Maley of the Devils. Do you remember those scraps? Uh, I remember fighting Langdon. It was, it was, Decent. I mean, you know, going into that fight, I knew I had been told, I had it explained to me that he's a grappler, second half fighter, like, he'll get you tired. This was Sandy McCarthy telling me this, too. He's like, he'll get you tired, and then you're all balled up and full of lactic acid, and then he starts coming on. Um, But I I was prepared for that. You know, I, I was prepared for that. So when we got together, I I could do that game very easily you know i was strong enough i like you know, the big hands i could grab i could uh, probably a little safer way of fighting too mm-hmm. um but like i said we were we were doing it the sort of half grappling sneak a couple of punches in and i was having no problem with it at all so and then the next thing you know the fight's over um he tied me up whatever the refs came in and that was it uh it it, it didn't get into that brawl type of scenario or it was more like the when I fought Sergio Bears type of thing. So, uh, any recollections of the Maley fight or no? No, I don't remember that one. Yeah, he was with Jersey. He so. got me now. Well, maybe it wasn't much of anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of these, you know, if they're not the stand-up brawl, they don't stick as long. Right. If it was just a <laughs> something that turned into something, but nobody got thrown, you know, like sometimes right. you get five minutes for those too, and then you don't remember them. But the good news is we're going to talk about a brawl right now. Uh, Probably the the Steve McLaren of Providence, like as far as fan favorites go. Uh, Providence had a guy, Aaron Downey, a big, big Aaron Downey. Love that guy, too. I guess you had played a game in Providence the week before this fight where I guess Downey had, 
tried to spear or speared Chris Albert while he was still on your bench. And um, I guess nothing happened for the rest. Nothing happened the rest of that game. But then a week later, you're you're back in Philly, and first you tried to get at him, and uh, you guys got broken up. But then you guys came out of the box and had a war. So you remember the the game before that? Did he actually spear Albert? Is that what led to this battle in uh, in Philly? Oh boy, mm. there was always something the other guy did, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always them. Yeah, yeah, no, no. If that's what it was, then that's. That's 100% why I stepped in there and it had to happen mm-hmm. uh, unless it was a score scenario where we were down or or it was just time to change the tempo of the game. But no, Downey, yeah, we, I, re, I remember the squaring off and us not coming together fast enough and the refs broke it up. And when we came out of the penalty box, yeah. it was like, all right, and I went right out of them. Like, we're doing this this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a good goal. I mean, he was one of the size-wise, right? Like, he was my height, my yeah. weight, size type of thing. So we went toe-to-toe a couple of times. And then after the toe-to-toe flash, because neither of us went down, you'd get into the grappling, punching, twisting, punching, pushing, pulling. Uh, and we had a couple of fights like that, even like when he was in Norfolk, too. But that one in uh, when he was with Providence, the second, when we came together and actually fought, I did ragdoll him pretty good at one point and had his head in his jersey and threw a pretty good shot. So he he knew I was there, I'm pretty sure. But, yeah, tough guy. <laughs> yeah, you two guys, I mean, I just think, you know, before I ask you that question, I'm looking at my notes here, and I'm just thinking about how great, like for a fan like myself, just how great the American League was at this time, where every night I know going to a game, you got you guys here in the Phantoms, and you got, uh, you know, just a couple of studs on the other team. Like I'm just thinking to myself how different it used to be. And you know, I love downs and I love you. And just thinking about, you know, just the anticipation of something happening and how different it is now where nothing like that is going to happen ever again. But it was the glory yeah. days for me, you know, for someone like myself, it was amazing. So well, you never know. It, it might be a cycle. It might be a 10 year cycle. It, one of these teams might come back and sign up a bunch of guys and be like, okay, let's get on. Let's go Philadelphia style and take this cup. Uh, it, it would be great, but I don't know where they're getting them from. Uh, Branch, I think you're the guy Branch. He finally got his wish. He's, you know, they're neutering all the guys in junior, unless they come from the West where there's no, uh, no fight limitations. It's going to be real tough. So. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, I heard that too. Yeah. You're limited in the OHL in that, eh? Like, after you fight in a game or something, you're you're out or uh, Quebec. I'm not sure exactly. What you're yeah, in in Quebec, I think every fight you have, you get suspended. I don't think you're allowed to fight. So I think if you fight, you're suspended. Uh, in Ontario, I think it's three fights, and every fight after that, you get suspended. So they're really, you know, they're neutering everybody. Yeah. Thankfully, the West hasn't adopted any of that yet. But uh, but I don't think they're producing killers like they used to either. So it's going to be for it to become cyclical. It's going to be pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, no. This is true. Yeah, yeah. Because it is. I, I mean, you've you've never seen a hockey game where the building didn't erupt when two guys <laughs> drop their gloves. I know you've got the players, but when 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 one team scores, one set of fans erupts. When two guys square off the fight, both sets of fans erupt. So, listen, you're you're saying verbatim what I usually say, and you know, and the thing is now with with social media, you get this small vocal minority of fans who whine about fighting and physical play, and 
you know, it's probably less than 5%, but for whatever reason, the leagues are so concerned about this small minority of fans where even today where, you know, you go to, I look at the schedule and I'm like, well, could something happen here? Could something happen here? Maybe. And, you know, it's just like nothing's going to happen. And then when it does, it's like you're going to have to listen to these people whine and bitch about it. And that's who these leagues, they seem to be so concerned with this small vocal minority when you got 95% of the crowd going ape shit. You know, it's crazy. I, I just had a buddy from back on my midget AAA team. We were uh, talking and he was down south of the border somewhere in the States. And he went to an East Coast Hockey League game. And he was figuring, okay, it's the coast. Like, you know, there's still going to be some brawls. And he said he, he left the game bored because there wasn't even any hard hits. It's crazy. Now, that, that's coming from another guy. Mm-hmm. But that's somebody I was talking to and who is a fan of hockey, too. Not just the fighting, right? right. Like, he's a fan of the game. And uh, he, he was quite disappointed in what he saw there. So The scary part is the East Coast League for the most part, aside from the, the Quebec, the LNAH up there. But as far as the other leagues go, the yeah. East Coast League is probably the most physical of the leagues that are left. If you know, some teams don't have anybody, then you got some of the Southern teams that have a couple of guys, but unless those teams play each other, there's nobody to happen. Like our, our closest team here out to long Island is Worcester, Massachusetts. And there was one season a couple of years ago, they had three guys that would scrap. Now they had one guy in camp who would fight, and he they put him on waivers. He's now in Florida. It's like the South is tough, but that's about it. It's it's just it, it's really weird how the game has devolved, in my opinion. Um, it's just like patty cake now. So, but well, I mean, I could talk about that forever. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just disappointing. Yeah. It's just you know, then you get like I always talk about it with with my 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 kids here when we go to the games when Philly comes in, and they have uh, Delorier and Hathaway. And I say, I don't know why those two guys don't run around like King Kong and just crush everybody because nobody's going to do anything to them 99% of the time. Yeah, and I, don't, hey, hey, don't get me wrong. May, may, probably that's what their team wants them to do. But, yeah. I mean, in today's game, it might. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Like I said, today's game was not my game. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was younger, yeah. I mean, back in those midget days when I scored five goals and – Stuff like that in a single game, yeah. But once the once the fighting came on and the protecting my teams, it was a lot harder to hold on to that stick when your hands were all swollen. <laughs> I don't think swollen hands are anyone's problem nowadays, but uh, but I digress. So yeah. talking about some of the some of the guys, like talking about a guy like you, a guy like Aaron Downey, another guy that you had to scrap with, got some games in the show, another guy who played a ton of games in the minors, Dave Morissette, who was with the Quebec Rafales at the time. Uh, another guy your size, you know, height wise, might have been a little heavier, uh, you know, width wise, but uh, but you fought him, and you remember fighting Moose. That was a. Uh, those were actually that's funny. Those were scenarios where uh, I believe Bonvi was on the team then, and they had was it Morissette and Sylve Bluey. That was uh, they, that was still Fredericton. This is after the team moved to Quebec. Okay, hold on. Well, I, I remember fighting Morissette. I'm just trying to link up to when it was, if it was before he knocked out Bonvie or if it was after. Uh, it would have, if it um, was, if he knocked out Bonvie that, with you guys, 
Oh, I know what you mean. And uh, yeah, it was probably after because I think he was with Montreal at the time when he Quebec. did that. Yeah. Yeah, it was in Quebec. So mm-hmm. yeah. So um, no, I mean we knew they had tough guys. And we had tough guys. So you know, I I really preferred to let the game decide. Yeah. When the fights were going to happen. But some were, you know, they got a couple of guys, we got a couple of guys, okay, what's going to happen type of thing. But it was much nicer when something would happen in the heat of the moment, you know, like a, and, and I, I don't mean uh, in the heat of the moment, like during your shift, I just mean during that game. Like the premeditated, or the premeditated stuff that some people didn't like to see in hockey, you know, that square off fight at the start of the game, nothing's happened yet. Um, I mean, I can understand that a bit, but some of the people weren't at the game before, right? Right. So something might be carrying over, and that that that's why I was wondering on the timing because, uh, yeah, we had uh, when I fought Morissette. I didn't know if it was before or after he had had a go with Bonby when we were together. But anyways, yeah, somebody somebody had to do something. I mean, I think the game Bonby got his nose broke. I think Brian Bast might have. Uh, Went, went with uh, Morissette then. I think it might have been the next game that I ended up fighting him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we went to come together, and I toe-picked, mm-hmm. almost fell. Yes. He caught He kind of half caught me, stood me back up. We looked at each other. <laughs> okay, start throwing. <laughs> and we started throwing. And I'll tell you what, I actually ducked one of his punches. And it was a good thing I did because it hit the top, like the dead center of the top of my helmet. Mm-hmm. And I felt it down my neck. Oh, <laughs> I was like, whoa, that, that one didn't hit me in the forehead. <laughs> Literally yeah, bone chill. I'm pretty sure yeah, I, I threw a couple of shots. Yeah, I think he had a bomb too. So so now we get to, now this year, the, the Phantoms and Hershey rivalry has a new dynamic. <clears throat> Hershey's got a new tough guy on their team. His name's Frank Bialois. And uh, there was a game that you played. You ended up fighting Jason Bowen. Um, and your fight came right after uh, Frankie fought, well, Frankie Bialoas fought for Lassard. So uh, do you remember that whole yeah. uh, that whole scenario where they fight and you and Bowen have a go? Yeah, again, uh, Francis Lassard. Oh, so this guy's supposed to be tough, this Frank the Animal guy. So he was licking his chops. Like he wanted to fight him, wanted to fight him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Frankie, I think, dropped him pretty good, but mm-hmm. he, want, he wanted to try and, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Frank ended up hitting him with one and he went down, but, uh, yeah, then a little bit of a, it was almost like a five on five half line brawl started happening. Didn't right into it, but then that's when I, and, uh, Bowen and I went at it. I mean, he's a tall, long guy too. He got a good grab on me and was holding me out a little bit. Then I tried to do everything I could. I don't. I don't remember what much happened after that, but yeah, you actually nobody nobody him. got hurt anyway. Yeah, you actually yeah, fought him hurt. twice that year. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, you fought him twice that year, and and I'm noticing a pattern here because uh, one of the other notes I I had uh, you fought later on uh, your second fight in your career against Sean Thornton happened right after Frankie Lassard Lassard fought Terry Ryan, so it's almost like he's the undercard to your main event fights. Well, I know, I, I do know this, uh, in my mind, if somebody on my team got beat in a fight, there was a good chance I was either, A, fighting the, the guy again, mm-hmm. 
or grabbing the next guy on their team to swing it back into our favor and let them know, no, 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 this is our team, and you got to deal with all of us when you're coming here. So oh, I that's that- the play in for on the jersey, right? Now, or the crest on the front, not the name on the back. That's right. That's right. Now, um, this season, someone who, who uh, would come into play in uh, your career later on, probably the you know biggest moment of your career, you ended up fighting him this, this year, and I think he, he was a few years younger than you. Worcester had, uh, they had uh, Kevin Sawyer, who had moved on to Springfield, to make room for Reed Lowe. And I think this was the first time you and Reed Lowe had, uh, had butt heads was, uh, was this season. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, Reed Lowe was pretty yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was good. We uh, we came together. He had me in the washing machine there for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, I say a few minutes, twenty <laughs> seconds. Or I was kind of shook, 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 going, "Holy Jesus, where are these coming from?" And then threw a couple of shots myself, and ended with a little left that kind of tagged him a bit. And we kind of pulled back. I pulled back the left. He pulled back the right. Then we just kind of looked at each other and. Yeah, okay, let's go to the penalty box type of thing. <laughs> I, you know, that happens sometimes. He's big. He's a big kid, right? Oh, yeah, I think he was up there 6'4", or 6'3 half or something. I mean, I'm only six feet, so yeah. All, all a lot of the guys were guys. I mean, I, I, a lot of my I mean, I was in St. Louis. I think I was tipping them at 250, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was a good weight. I When I got to Chicago, they said, Steve, you're going to be fighting all these heavyweight guys. Like, you got to put some weight on. Because mm-hmm. I think at that point, I might have been 220. Yeah. <laughs> so then it, it was, a, you know. You feel the power of some of the bigger, stronger guys, uh, aside from their fighting ability. Mm-hmm. If they could just throw you around, it makes it hard to get into a good position to hit them. So, yeah, I put on some weight for a couple of years, and that was uh, part of the reason um, to take on the heavies. Yeah, for sure. Now, so, aside from fighting um, Doherty again, you had another fight against the St. John's Maple Leaf that you did very well in. Was uh, one of their, I believe, he was still playing defense at the time, Justin Hawking. Uh, you fought a couple of their defensemen, Hawking and Sandwith. The Sandwith fight didn't seem like it was much of anything, but the Hawking fight looked like it started out a little bit toe to toe. I don't know if anything landed coming from him, but it looked like as the fight went on, you seemed to be you landed some pretty significant stuff. Yeah, I mean that that was one of those fights where, did, to be honest with you. <laughs> I knew he wasn't going to hurt me. Yeah. So I didn't even care about grabbing or holding on to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guys had told me he was, he was pretty tough. Like he could go, but he, as far as I was concerned, it was a scenario where he didn't like to do it with mm-hmm. the heavyweight guys. Um, but I mean, I wasn't uh, worried about him at all. Uh, tough guy though. I mean, he stood yeah. in there. Uh, we did go a bit toe to toe. Then we got tied up. That was a little bit toe-to-toe. I mean, I had no helmet on. Yeah. Like, often I don't have my helmet on. It goes flying off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, we had a good go. I switched every time. I didn't have – he was holding on to my right. I'd throw the left, and then he'd throw a right, and I'd throw a right, and he'd throw a left. It was a pretty good tilt. It went on yeah. for a bit. Uh, one guy – again – Fortunately, most of the Phantoms fights were televised or at least highlights, but this one wasn't. And we're just talking about big dudes that you fought, going back to talking about Reed Lowe. Uh, this guy may have been the biggest guy you fought that year, uh, Rob Skurlak up in Albany. Now, I don't know how this fight went. Uh, I don't know if you remember it. And uh, if you do, uh, do you, can you tell us how it went? Yep. 
that that was one of those uh, funniest fights in hockey type of thing. Okay. Because we came together, uh, like we squared off. It was uh, we came together, tried to throw a couple of punches, and then he started yelling. I don't know what was going on, so we stopped. But his skate had broke off. The blade had broken off the bottom of his skate, and he couldn't stand up. Oh shit! So we just stopped. That ended the fight. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, your skate's broken. Done. Like, go get your skate fixed. I, you know, I, I obviously wanted to have advantages over guys, but I didn't want to take them like that. So, one guy I want to ask you about another guy, Miners. He's actually assistant coach with the Flyers right now. Uh, made an impact in a short period of time in that uh, he played in Calgary there. Uh, took the league by storm for a little bit. That's Rocky Thompson. He's another guy. We talk about Langdon with his stamina. Uh, Rocky Thompson is another guy that uh, that seemed like he could go forever. And you had your first fight with him this season, and it was toe-to-toe. You remember fighting Rocky? Yeah, uh, it was it the one that, well, if, <laughs> I fought Rocky twice that year. Uh, the first time was in Louisville, and... I basically strung him, hit him, he went down, I picked him up, I hit him again, he went down again, I picked him up, I hit him again, he went down again, and I left him down. Oh, I think that might so have been that, it. That, yeah. Yeah, that verbatim is what happened in that one in Louisville. Mm-hmm. And then uh, back in Philly, I, uh, I don't remember what the score was, but we, uh, we lined up together, and I asked him, I said, are you ready to go? And he basically say he goes no i'm not fighting you again and then as soon as i turned my back he jumped me but you know like i said i had hit him pretty hard a couple of times that first fight so but great guy i mean i've uh, ended up talking with him since the next day in louisville actually got he was going somewhere because i met up with him in the hotel lobby oh really uh, i don't know where he was going but he was in the hotel lobby that we were staying in the visiting team and uh yeah, I ended up sitting down in the lobby in their uh, lounge and chatting with them for a bit. So that was kind of neat. But like I said, no problem leaving what happened on the ice on the ice. So, Of course, of course. And then I saw him again here when I found out he was with, I uh, was at Guelph. Or he was with one of the teams in the OHL and was coming to North Bay to play the battalion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to the game and met up with him there and we chatted and, Hung out a little bit before the game, so he was a nice guy too. Yeah, I'm hoping to. Uh, my son, my son Joey, he's he likes the Flyers and the Islanders, so I want to try to get down. Uh, we try to go once a year to a game down there, and uh, I've actually never met Rocky, so I'd like to actually uh, get a chance to meet him, maybe grab a picture or something, introduce him to my son. So, uh, so it's good to know. I figured he's a pretty good guy, so uh, I'll try to run into him. If I do, I'll tell him you said hello. Hi. Right, Seemed like a great guy. Yeah, I gotta tell you, he, he wasn't he wasn't two hundred and fifty pounds. No, you know what I mean. Like I, he's uh, to me, he's, he's like a Bruce Ramsey. Yeah, like an old two hundred pound guy that often gets in there and does it. But he really he wasn't that big of a, a, a that big of a man. Like his height, yeah, he might have been six two or whatever. But as we go to your third year with the with the Flyers, we already discussed you had. Uh the story that you had told about Bobby Clark uh, going in there. Uh, I want to ask you about a couple of your teammates, one uh, both on the smaller side, but both, I think, tough as nails. Uh, Rob Murray and PJ Stock. What do you remember about playing with those guys? Uh, Rob Murray, like hard-nosed player, not not a super big guy. Right. But again, a, a guy that 
lays for the crest. All or not, like everything, right? Every every ounce of anything in his body he put into the game and what he was trying to do. So, 100% respect for him for that. And uh, PJ Stock, well, I did a couple of radio shows with Stocker there in Philly. Um, this is before he went to Boston, obviously, and that. And uh, you know what? For for his size and a lot of attitude, a lot of fight in that guy. You know what I mean? Like he had the attitude. Size didn't matter to him. Uh, he was going to get in there and give his licks to it. I mean, I got, I got, I went, uh, I got along pretty good with Stalker. So very nice guy and very tough, like you said. So yeah, I mean, he's he's so his personality is is so big and he's so personable and uh, you know, he's done really well after hockey on TV and everything. I mean, I think if you know him even a little bit, it makes sense that he's doing uh, he's doing well with the TV now. He just got that. He's got that charisma, and uh, he's a big personality, so I'm not surprised. But, yeah, I mean, I think everyone has seen him versus uh, Stephen yeah. Pete. That fight versus Stephen Pete was just unbelievable. And, you know, for a guy that size just taking on these monsters, it never gives an inch. I mean, I, I love the guy. Oh, yeah, and, I mean, some of the guys I played with said that Stephen Pete was legit. I mean, I never got a go with him, but, again, there you go. Like, that's yeah. a that's a, a heavyweight guy in stock. Like you say, not that big, so kudos to him, man. He did it a lot, too. He did it a lot, and he had his fans for doing it, so. Going into this year, there's a coaching change. You had mentioned Bill Barber. He went up to coach the Flyers. Uh, John Stevens gets the promotion, the head coach. Your job your job is pretty simple. It's straightforward. You know, I, John Stevens is going to tell you how to do your job, but did it help you that the new coach coming in as a guy that you had played for already, you had played with his final year, uh, knew what you could do, knew what you were capable of, and I'm sure he had confidence in your ability to do your job. Did that make the transition easier going from Barber to Stevens? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I had played defense with him yeah. prior and stuff too. So, I mean, you know, he was a guy on the team. He didn't He didn't uh, do the, the full turn from player to assistant coach right away, you know, like, he was. He understood the the game. He understood what that team needed and had. I mean, he was great. Um, and yeah, he he understood what I was going to do and what I brought to the table. And he actually surprised me one time. I had a broken nose from two fights. It was with uh, Sean Thornton and uh, uh, it was Leatra or oh later, yeah, I think Martin Leatra Hamilton uh, up in St. John. And I ended up, I ended up with a like a cracked nose in those two fights. I don't know from who. It didn't matter. I knocked them both out. We ended up going down and playing in, I believe it was Norfolk. And uh, because my nose was broken the way that, like you know, it was shifted a little bit, uh, I had a visor on, and I thought, oh, they're not going to play me. Like the, you know, the coach said, well, no, Johnny's like, oh, you get up there, and get a goal, like you get in there and get yourself a goal. And <laughs> so I mean, I was actually tried a little harder as a player so it was kind of nice but mm-hmm. yeah that's good Stevens was a good guy too yeah rambo one year there he blew his acl and was back playing within three months or something like it was crazy wow just a hard worker and a yeah so that was his nickname rambo uh so this year so everyone we discussed a few um a few times the rivalry with hershey now this year the ahl introduces a new team uh wilkesbury scranton penguins uh, and they immediately become uh, another rivalry based in violence, like the Hershey rivalry. And I'm guessing you were all for this. Oh yeah, I love those games. <laughs> if you can't get up and pump for those types of games, what are you doing, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, 
Before we get to the regular season, let's talk about the exhibition season. You had a busy night in Trenton, uh, New Jersey one night. Uh, you fought against the Islanders, Ray Schultz. And then uh, you went uh, up in weight class uh, against Eric Cairns. And uh, your fight with Cairns, uh, that was both of your second fights that game. Uh, he had fought, and I, you alluded to this earlier, that if someone gets the better of one of your teammates, that uh, you're going you're gonna to look for revenge. And uh, Cairns, he had fought Frankie Lassard earlier in the game and broke his jaw. So uh, what do you remember about uh, Schultz and Cairns in that game? Uh, the Schultz fight? I don't know if he was really wanting to do it, but we came together. He might have even dropped his gloves first. I'm not sure. But then we threw a couple of shots. We're up against the boards, and I kind of out-muscled them and didn't really, you know, it wasn't a bomb knockout. There was none of that. Just the fight kind of ended. And then with Karens, yeah, or Karens or Karens. I mean, I had been at uh, a couple of summer training camps with Eric. Yeah, and uh, at one of them there, we were calling ourselves hack and whack. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just beat the puck around, but we got along pretty good. Yeah, in in, in that game, yeah, and all uh, like you said again, Lassard was a, the rookie or whatever, and game wanted to fight everybody, and yeah. Karen's hit him with a with a good shot. Uh, Lassard was actually doing the. I think he broke my tooth. My tooth. <laughs> He thought, his, he thought his tooth was broken, but it was actually his jaw. Yeah. And uh, so then, that, yeah, then the next round, I'm like, okay, I got to go fight him now for sure. Mm. So I went out. I'm like, Karen, we got to go. He's like, no, Stevie. And I'm like, no, no, we have to. You got to give me a go now. We have to. Mm. And I mean, you know, talk, talk about a big man that, you know, gym strength and weight training and size and uh, arm reach. But, I mean, I, I did my thing. I tried to slip my uppercuts in and my whatever, and then, uh, yeah, that was that. Later on that exhibition season, back with the Phantoms, uh, you had an exhibition uh, game against Syracuse, uh, fought Jody Shelley. But I noticed in that game uh, you wore the C. Uh, you wore the C in that game. Uh, I was hoping that was going to continue in the regular season, but uh, I guess that was just for that exhibition game. I think that was I was probably one of the more veteran guys in the lineup at the time. I'm not sure. It might have been yeah. a lot of young guys. But yeah, that was that was the that was the start to myself and Jody Shelley fighting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You had a good uh, a good feud with him. Yeah, that one there, that fight there, I controlled the 100. percent Like I was hitting him with rights. I switched to lefts. Yeah. Hit him with lefts. Uh, balled up, and I kind of had a free for all there. But you know, never got any shots into. To, put him down or anything so yeah see that jersey would have been the one for you to keep with the c on it that would have been the one that you should have at uh have up there in the house there with the c on it yeah right Steve, <laughs> <laughs> borrow this jersey from somebody <laughs> so so I, mean, I was a team guy at that, but i don't know if i was captain no <laughs> you never know you can lead by example yeah well i was hey i was captain one of my midget team so well there you go Oh, see, see, you had the history. First regular season fight, uh, Steve Parsons, you know, introduced you to the the Wilkesbury team. Uh, I don't think that was that was much of a fight, but uh, it got the you're you're going against the Penguins there. I think the one fight from this year that everybody knows uh, was the fight after the Parsons fight, and that was uh, against a real tough guy, Kip Brennan, uh, who was with Lowell at the time, and uh, and you dropped him. What do you remember about that fight? Yeah, I, I remember some people said, again, the same thing. He was tough, and he was a fighter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by that, I mean, like, he was good to go. Like, he was yeah. a game. And, uh, yeah, we 
we came together, dropped the gloves, started throwing, and, you know, I came up the pipe and nailed him on the chin, and next thing you know, like I say, he's, he was hanging on to my ankles, so. Yeah. But not uh, not not hurt or anything, like, right, right away, he, he, you know, he, he tried to jump up right away, and that that's okay, we'll have another go. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It just never happened, but. First one there, Parsons? What's that? Steve Parsons was the first one you had said there. Yeah, Parsons was the first the first fight you had that regular season, but uh, the video I had it wasn't didn't seem like it was much of anything. No, that I, again that was one of those ones where that sneaky in tight to the body uppercut mm-hmm. that you don't even sometimes see. Yeah, but he just dropped. That was grabbed around my leg. I was that, like, whoa, what happened here? Like, I guess I hit him with that one. That was your second fight that year. That was round two. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was round two. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that was round two, which we were going to get to, but that's fine. Yeah, but again, you dropped him with that and another tough guy. Going back to, you know, sticking with the Wilkes-Barre theme, at the end of that month in October, you guys had a brawl at the end of the game. Uh, it seemed like you're, you're fighting Billy Tibbetts, who controversial signing him coming back into uh, into professional hockey. Uh, whether you want to touch on that or not, I don't know if there was any chirping going on uh, with Tibbetts, but... Uh, I, I found the funniest part of that video was watching Neil Little because he's dying to get into it, and it didn't look like he got he was able to get into it. But it was just watching him, you know, like is like a caged tiger. But that was, I think, the first run in that yeah. that you had with uh, with Tibbets there. I think you fought him again later that year. I wanted to uh, hit Tibbets. <laughs> uh, well, there was some, you know, it was it was playing the game. Yeah, you know, and he, he was playing the game hard. But there was there was a bit of a scrum down. Be- side of the net and i went to uh you know i was a pile up mm-hmm. and i was doing my coming out of the pile up looking to grab somebody yeah and uh he punched me and i was like oh oh yeah <laughs> so then you know i got a, a bit then but i didn't forget that i saved that for the next game and i can't remember who there was a defenseman um oh god that played with Tibbets that i ended up playing with later on and nothing ever melt or made me feel better uh, he told me, he goes, yeah, he goes, I, I played with that Billy Tibbetts. And he goes, he told me you hit him the hardest he's ever been hit. And at that point, I remember because it was the game after that little brawl mm-hmm. where another brawl ensued, not a brawl, like a right. scrum mm-hmm. over by their bench. And I was, I just looked and I saw him in there and I was skating over. I'm like, oh yeah, how about this? <laughs> and he just ass over tea kettle on his back and whatnot, but. Yeah, I was coming that time. Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, again, I don't know Billy. I, I just know what I've read, and I, I don't think anyone was probably shedding any tears uh, when you punched him there. <laughs> so just from what I've read, I don't know. I don't know what's true, what's not true, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I, well, no, he, he's one of those guys that you hate to play against, but you love to have him on your team, I would imagine, right? Like, yeah, he can stir the ball with the best of them. I mean, I was never... I wasn't good at the quick wit and the, the, the jabbing back at teams' benches and that. I was just like, yeah, well, why don't you come out here and I'll fight you? Yeah. So, you know, like that type of thing. I've heard other guys say it before, too. Like, the you'd go to get into a fight with a guy and he'd say something to you. Mm-hmm. And you'd want to laugh at what he was saying but have to hold it back because you got to fight him first. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do too much of that, but I did get some laughs from what other people were saying. A guy you fought this year uh, from Worcester, 
And uh, it actually is tied into a guy that you played with later um, in Worcester, a guy named Eddie Campbell. And when I had asked Eddie what he remembered about you, he said, I first played against him when he was in the IHL for Indy. He was the toughest guy in the league in 97, 98. I was in Worcester and he was in Philadelphia. And we brought up this tough guy from Peoria to fight him in Philly. Steve absolutely beat the doors off the guy. And the next year he was in Worcester playing for us. He was as tough as they come and the best team guy around. So then I did my deduction and the guy that he's talking about was Jesse Rizanzoff. So you remember fighting Jesse? Cause I don't have any video of that. Yeah, no, I, well, I have it. I'll yeah. send her to you. No, it was, uh, you know, he was a young guy, yeah, tough. Like, I mean, the guy had to be tough. I plugged him with a couple of shots. I broke his nose. I mean, I total control on him. And then, uh, but I mean, in all honesty, he was still trying to fight back. Yeah. You know what? He was in a losing scenario, but tough guy. Yeah, I got to give him that. He was tough for hanging in there and trying to fight back. So I just had the better grab and the better position and landed a couple on him. So Yeah, Jesse's a tough guy, you know, from uh, come out from out west, Western Leaguer, and uh, he's had his share of fights and everything. It's, it's, it's sort of a – it's part of the job, but it's sort of a – a no-win situation in a way because now he's coming up. He's fighting one of the established guys in the league. He's probably an established guy in East Coast League. But, you know, experience-wise, you know, he might have been out of his element and he was outmatched. But, you know, hopefully, like you, the way you described the fight and afterwards, how you, you know, he obviously has your respect for the job that he did. And hopefully that night that the, you know, the Worcester Brass, the St. Louis Brass, whatever it was, had some respect for him for doing the job because it's sort of a no-win situation for him. Yeah, and I mean that—that's the thing. I have the most respect for all the guys. I mean, we'll we'll sit here and say this and that about every guy. And I mean, even the the other when we were talking last time, and I had mentioned about uh, Andy Bizu and mm-hmm. Tyler Willis, and I mean, hey, those guys were killers in their own right too. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from them. I just right. had really good fun with guys like that because. Mm-hmm. I could I could overpower them and stuff. So, but I mean, anybody that does the job gets my respect. Just just for you know, they're stepping up for a teammate or their team or you know whatever the scenario is. Those guys that step in there to do it, you know, they're technically they they'd probably all be my brothers if they weren't on the other team type of thing, right? So this year was uh, he had uh, he had made a name for himself in the IHL. Uh, but this year he found himself in the American League. He ended up fighting him twice, once in the regular season and once in the playoffs uh, with Rochester, Sasha Lakovic. Uh, I don't think you guys ever crossed paths in the IHL, did you? But uh, what were your impressions of him? No, uh, I don't think I crossed paths with him in the IHL. Yeah. Um, I think he would have been in Vegas or something, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, he was a strong guy, but he he had the, the fighting style that I didn't really like, like, tie up sort of his punches sort of came from the side because he was pulling you in and hugging you and yeah i was like i want to stretch him out and punch and you know get the guy pushed out away from me but yeah i mean strong enough guy i don't know i wasn't uh i wasn't too worried about him so i mean i i thought you know if you're going into these fights and you don't have the confidence like i mean my my 100 my confidence was i you know guys had hit me and i kind of knew at that point that I was pretty tough, but I also knew that if I hit a guy, that was going to be it. And I'm not saying, you know, you throw 300 glancing blows, right? 
but I also knew if I if I hit the guy, the fight was over. So that was where my confidence came from. And I mean, somebody like him, yeah, I wanted to stretch him out and tag him, but he was always so tight and so close, and he was strong enough that he could hold you there too a bit. So speaking of confidence, uh, your confidence may not have ever been higher. Well, you're a confident guy, so maybe that's not true. But a game in February against Syracuse at Wells Fargo in the big arena, less than three minutes into the game. You had two-thirds of the Gordie Howe hat trick. First, you shot a laser from the right face-off circle, beat the Syracuse goalie. And then right after that, Jody Shelley looked like he was going to go with Frankie Lassard, and then you dropped the gloves and got it going with him. So tell me about the first three minutes of that game where you had the, the laser goal and then the fight with Jody. Uh, okay, so I think that, yeah, down the, I think it would have been from the right wing, I shot and scored. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing over there. Uh, but anyway, uh, no, then back to the face-off, and they put Shelly out, and I lined up with them on the face-off draw. And they, I was like, hey, are, are we going right now? Like, let's go. I mean, I had just scored or whatever, but I'm like, are we doing this? And he kind of, no, no, I'm not going yet. And he skated away, and then the sort of scrum started to ensue with him and Lassard and a couple other guys. And I was like, no, 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 no. I just talked to you. I'm your guy. <laughs> so then grabbed Shelly. And, uh, well, that was the one. That that was the where I got the 12 stitches in my knuckle. I threw an uppercut from the side and knocked his teeth out. And, uh, yeah, teeth put 12 stitches in my pointer finger knuckle. You actually see that go into the penalty box. When I look down, I'm like, oh, oh wow, I got a big cut in my hand. I got to go get this checked out. <laughs> did you get the assist? I don't think you got the Gordie Howe that night, did you? No, I don't think yeah. so. I don't think that ever happened, Joe. Yeah, I might have got the I might have got the three fights in a game, but <laughs> yeah. not to get the fight in the the goal. So. Oh, and I'm sure that you were dishing passes to guys left and right all night. They just didn't you know put them away. <laughs> yeah, that had to be what happened. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. All of a sudden, you were out of moats. Yep, exactly. This you... might. That guys I was passing them off to weren't putting them in, so. No, I mean, and you can't, you can, you know, you can do so much to get the goal. You can control getting the fight, but, you know, the the assist is the hardest part because you can't shoot the puck for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have had to pick it off somebody. <laughs> do you remember who your last fight with uh, that you had as a phantom was against? Last fight as a phantom. Uh, Playoffs. No. I don't. Dennis Bonvi. My goodness. Oh, Bone. Yeah, well, we did fight a few times. I, did, I just don't remember. I know I fought him a couple of times in Worcester when he was with Providence. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, we played together in Philly, and then he went to Wilkes-Barre, right? Yep, that was the fight in the playoffs. You were at uh, Philly. He was with Wilkes-Barre. Ah, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, our fights didn't turn into too much. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think back. I mean, we had a couple of a good goes, but... yeah. You know, they did. Nobody got knocked down. Nobody got knocked out. There was no uh, couple of good goes, though. Um, I mean, I got all the respect for Bones playing with them, playing against them. I mean, do like I said, doing the job mm-hmm. takes takes a takes a quite an attitude to have forty five hundred penalty minutes in any league, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it would take some teams about five years to get that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few teams adding up their penalty minutes. Yeah, really. <laughs> 